so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Unlike any professional bowler, we're up here facing a very difficult 13 to 7 split. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. That was exciting. I'm Andre Harrison. Welcome to episode 252 of Motorsport 101. And, uh, oh boy, uh, this is going to be an interesting show. Mostly because we're going to have a lot to talk about what was an objectively pretty bad British Grand Prix. Even if it had one of the most ludicrous final final free laps you will ever see in a Grand Prix. it And that's barely even covers half of what actually happened off the track as well as on the track and before the race too oh boy it's a whole lot to get through but uh before we get into it um with me as always ryan king hello sir hello we we had an eventful few days over the course of this really boring race weekend just just a touch um just a touch i'll get into the reasons why from a personal standpoint in just a second um but, uh, also, I should note, due, due to uh, a recent tropical storm hitting New York City, I'm coming to you live via mobile hotspot due to the most of the city not either having power or telecoms right now. So, in other words, New York's not having the best of months. Nope. Oh, dear. Hang in there, buddy. Um, although, I must admit... I know mobile hotspots are hard, but at least you're not coming to us live from an airport. <laughs> We've had those oh, before. Man. <laughs> nah, in in my head, I'm just imagining when NASCAR came back and they had that sax version of the national anthem and that tweet I sent out saying how it sounded like the closing credits for America. And I'm like, oh man, <laughs> feels like it. <laughs> oh, Yo, no, sh- no shit. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, um, but Ted Turner once had like a doomsday tape in the CNN vault to be played just in case we plunged into nuclear war. <laughs> and it's like this whole brass band playing like this really solemn song in front of the White House. <laughs> <laughs> Nearer my God to Thee is is the name of the song. Oh my! Lord. Also, hello. Hello, hello. Connell. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. Uh. Th- yeah. My brain's wandering wandering into great places when we're in uh year twenty seven of quarantine. Let's go. Yeah. Please, let's get a vaccine on the market. Yeah. And wear a damn mask, everybody. Uh, as you do. As as well as the hem, we also have Cam Buckley with me. Hello, Cam. Hello, Dre. Hello, all. Um. Man, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I literally I have nothing else to say. Uh, yeah, I mean that that yeah, that's that's a mood. That's a big mood. Um, that's yeah, that just about does it really. Uh, <laughs> I think we've sworn not to talk about the AFL Championship uh, for the sake of some of our supporters. Oof, oof, big big oof, as you do. So. In this episode of uh, 252 Motorsport 101, we'll be talking about the British Grand Prix, the first of two we'll be having over the next fortnight, um, uh, which had eventfulness and drama before we'd even got started because someone rather significant in the paddock caught the Rona. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, it it put the whole weekend in havoc, as you do. Um, we'll also talk about the race itself and how 95% of it sucked, and then 5% of it was ridiculous. Um, and, and we'll also get into Formula 1's new and improved moment of reflection against injustice. As you can imagine. It wasn't. It's, it, as you can imagine, it was pretty shit. Um, also, we'll get into the news and uh, how uh, Roger Penske finally gave up the fight against having fans at the Indy 500. No fans! COVID only! Uh, Indy Destination! As you do. Um, an update on Mark Marquez and how his competitive season is, well, pretty much effectively over, but not for the reasons you might expect. And IMSA having a boat race at Road America. No, seriously. IMSA had a boat race and uh, a certain someone with good uh, artificially colored hair oh, whoa. is now on the market. <laughs> Helio, please don't sue. Um, <laughs> we'll yeah, we got F2, F3, World Superbikes is back. We're getting in the groove. Oh, boy. It's it's a thick boy this week. It's a very thick boy. Um, general housekeeping and getting it out of the way. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Now, I'm taking a little bit of a step back from making videos this week because uh, our beloved co-host, Mr. Ryan Eric King, is, is I've given him the keys for the next week. Uh, he's got a brand new mini-series out on there right now called Templehof Nights. So, in case you're wondering, as we're recording this on uh, August 5th, yes, race uh, race one of the Berlin sextuple header um, has just finished. But uh, we're not talking about it on the show. We'll be talking about it in a four-video streaming mini-series on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, with Ryan King and a bunch of awesome guests talking about the Formula E. It's a fun time for all involved. Episode 1 is available as we, as we record this. By the time this goes out, it will probably be the whole thing. Watch them all. It's it's a it's it's a great time. Episode 1 had Hazel Southwell on it and you know Hazel, probably the best Formula E journal on the planet. Go listen to it. It was it was a fun time for all involved. And King gets to play with his graphics. It's great. <laughs> and most importantly, we're not going to charge you an additional $30 on top of your subscription. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we're, we're great value for money, too. What's not to love? But RJ, won't you think of Disney? <laughs> I think of Disney sometimes. Just not in that sense. God, no, like, like they need the help. Um, right. So, yeah, Temple Off Nights on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, hosted by Ryan King. I will also be on there in episodes three and four. I believe Cam is on episode two. So uh, you can yep. you can check those out when you get a chance. Uh, so I'll be on there next week as well, in just in case you haven't gotten sick of my face yet, which, let's be honest, there is every possibility that has happened. Uh, we're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to handle, uh, or should I say follow us personally, our handles are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at uh, CBuckley917, and at Ryan Eric King. You've probably seen my face a lot in the last few days um, through no... Like, it wasn't my intention, um, but uh, <laughs> a certain something, I guess you could say, went viral. Uh, uh, over the oh, oh, get the ego stroking off quick, please. Uh, yes, yes. Oh Let's just get it, get it over with now. Yeah, I may or may not have written a post about the uh, Formula One social... Quote, quote unquote protest 
on the website, motorsport101.com. Like I said, you've probably already read it by now. It got retweeted 1,300 times. Um, that, I, oof, I, I, my, my phone's only just stopped ringing um, with notifications, which I had to turn off like 12 hours in. It was a... Uh, Dre is in demand. Dre is in demand, and uh, as... As a satellite to this, I got to shit on a neo-Nazi on Twitter. It's a fun time. time. It's a fun time. It's a fun time. Um, so yeah, if you have, see, when I was thinking, when I was thinking of you going viral, I was thinking of you predicting the race result. That happened too. That like, I think Nostradamus. I think that's. I think the <laughs> maddest part is. I think that might have actually gotten more retweets than that article. Um, <laughs> Uh, which, which I think says a lot more about the state of Twitter than anything else, and cancels any ego boosting you could possibly give for myself. Was that, yeah, me randomly pressing stop on a GIF and predicting the race winner got more attention and impressions than one of the most powerful articles I've ever written. Um, so, Dre, what are next week's lottery numbers? Um, 3, <laughs> 10, 17, 25, 39, and 46. Knock yourself out. Um, oh, and, and sh- should we mention your your cameo appearance on um, the most divisive automotive automotive publication on the internet? Would, would that be Jalopnik by any chance? Yes. <laughs> yeah, Jalopnik picked up my piece. Um, I love that. I love how they asked me for for permission before sharing that. They didn't. Um, oh. <laughs> um, so I thought that was cute. Isn't uh, isn't Jalopnik the best? Um, they always research their articles so well. Yeah, they, they just, uh, let's just have Dre do the talking for us. It's great. Um, which, although it is funny, they did offer me a job afterwards, which I thought was cute. Um, so <laughs> it's yeah, like, that's hey. what I'm saying. You're in demand. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, if they're gonna expose you to the worst side of the internet, might as well try to pay you for it. Hey, hey, there you go. It, 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 it's it's compensation, as far as I'm concerned. Um, no, don't worry, I won't be writing for them anytime soon. Um, but uh, thanks to everybody that did share that um, piece and reveled in my prediction skills. It's been quite the weekend. I went from three and a half thousand followers on Twitter to four thousand two hundred because um, you guys are masochists and. And, um, I don't know why, I, I, <laughs> I really don't, but apparently that article hit home with a lot of people, which is more than I can ever ask. I would say it was 80% positive, 15% negative, and 5% straight-up racist abuse, which is, you know, fantastic. I mean, as a black man on the internet, you're kind of automatically conditioned to this sort of thing, but here we are. Um, so, yeah, I, all I will say is, if you shared it and you and you appreciated what I had to say and and whatnot, thank you. It's one of, like, it's, a, it's an article that... I don't normally like writing while angry because it's gotten me in trouble in the past, but I think I've gotten a little bit better at handling myself since then. Um, I mean, even though I still might or might not have called Carlos Sainz a bootlicker, um, which, which, to be honest... It, so anyways, I just started licking. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it was uh, it was quite a thing. I, I stand by every word that I said in that piece, um, as, far, as far as I'm concerned. I don't care if it, if it vetoes me from any McLaren merchandise stand, so they could charge 50... Well, well, you're, you're, you're acting like... Uh, he's gonna be at McLaren for that much longer. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, oh, like, like. Oh. No, instead he's getting his uh, 
glorious comeuppance. But, but you know what? I can buy McLaren merch guilt-free next year. It's great. <laughs> oh, I'm, like, I'm counting down the days as we speak. The McLarens are coming. The, the new wholesome, likable Formula One team of our times. It's great. Oh, don't don't look at their owners. <clears throat> um, but no. Um, anyone, everyone that shared it, said positive things. Signal boosted it. I'm incredibly grateful. Everyone that followed on the wagon, thank you. I do really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is the most read piece in the history of Motorsport 101 as a website. So over 6,000 of you have read this. So thank you very, very much for everyone that's done that. Um, and to all those people that disagreed with what I had to say or, for, or were doing the mental gymnastics to try and talk their way out of this sport, uh, and trying to exonerate it from any wrongdoing, all I will say is I continue, and I hope and pray I can continue to make you feel as uncomfortable as possible about following this sport. Because god damn it, I've had to do it for the last 20 years. There's no reason why you can't too. Thanks for reading. Right, all of that on motorsport101.com forward slash blog. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, $5 gets you early access to all of our shows before they're released to the public. $10 gets you into the supporters club of our Discord server. Um, it gives you the right to actually live chat during our motorsport events we have on there as well. And you can listen to these shows live as they're being recorded now in video form on YouTube in a couple of weeks' time. So stay tuned on that. We're no, and, and on that note, mm. uh, I should I should say something. Due to us moving to YouTube and having to avoid any potential copyright issues, uh, we're, we're going to have to select some new music for the show. And if you come into the supporters section, you'll be able to see the possible contenders for a new theme for the show. Ooh. Oh, yeah. shit. Wait, who put King in charge of music selection? I didn't, nobody ran this through me. <laughs> whoa, whoa. I'm not in charge. Uh, again, you'll you get to see... Everyone will get to see options. I'm not the one making the final, final decision. No, that'll be RJ O'Connell, because he's editing the show, so it's only fair he gets I'm with uh, I'm with supporter of the show, uh, Sasha. I think we should use the wide Putin music. Oh, God, no, oh, no, no. No. <laughs> After this quick musical interlude, which will not be the Putin intro, we'll talk about the British Grand Prix. See you after this. But I am going to use it for the F2 segment. Oh, God. <laughs> Very good. So yeah, the British Grand Prix happened. Boy, it sure did happen. Um, yeah, it, uh, uh, that that is undeniable. It did, in fact, happen. It did happen. We got a lot of happening before the race when the news came out that we did have a positive test, a noteworthy one. Sergio Perez contracted the coronavirus. Yes. Um, quick timeline of events. Thursday morning, when all the drivers are rolling up to the track, they're given you know a a 
a, a COVID test before entering the quote-unquote bubble of Formula One. Uh, everybody came out negative, except for a couple of inconclusive cases. Um, Sergio Perez was one of them. I believe the journalist Keith Collinson uh, was another one as well that had an inconclusive test. Um, the protocol is, is that if that happens, you are told to self-isolate, but you are also immediately retested to see if you can get a conclusive result. So Perez went back to his hotel room, dot 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 the second test came out positive too like oh um so and you know what made it even more sketchy was the fact that the uk government had on the same day had uh increased the mandatory self-isolation time for a positive covid test from seven to ten days um even though there's there's still a big question mark around that because again Elite athletes are exempt, so... Yeah, um, even so, like, I believe Perez still has to have two consecutive negative tests before he's allowed to re-enter the paddock. Um, So there is still a possibility, as of the time we're recording this on August 5th, that Perez could still race for the 70th anniversary British Grand Prix this upcoming weekend. We don't know yet at the time of recording. We'll have to wait and see. Um, I don't know how far the exemptions go on quote-unquote elite athletes, but we'll have to wait and see. So Perez was out of the weekend. Everybody starts twiddling their thumbs, thinking... Now, now, before before we move on to that, Hmm? we should know that... We should note out, Sergio's doing fine. Yeah, he's I, fine. I hope he recovers soon. But yeah. Jesus Christ, Sergio, you were reckless, and this is what happens. Yeah, to be fair, part of it was that he was visiting his ailing mother. We're not going to fault him for that. But you probably didn't have to take a detour to Sardinia along the way. Yes, yeah. and also we should we should mention that like that that's how like <clears throat> most of the other sports bubbles had issues where people get an accept an exemption to go somewhere due to a, an emergency situation where they should mm-hmm. really you know leave the bubble and then they abuse the fact that they got to leave. This was our Dominic Cummings moment. It really, it but really. Sergio Perez is kind of a bit more scrupulous than Dominic Cummings, so that's not saying much. Yeah, it, it isn't. Um, we saw it in the NBA with Lou Williams, who got to leave the bubble, I think, due to a family funeral, but then stuck around and hit the strip clubs up so he could get his favorite uh, Magic City lemon pepper wings. Yeah, lemon pepper Lou. Mm. Oh my yeah. lord! What a man! Uh, what a man. Uh, so yeah, it's not the only place where this has happened. Uh, bubble breaches are not just an F1 thing, uh, believe it or not. Uh, we also had Romain Grosjean last week take a take a detour and head out to Greece on holiday as well, which uh, led him to being panned on social media for that one. Uh, so yeah, mm. drivers are taking the piss. What a surprise. Yeah, they clearly think this doesn't apply to them, and I hope, you know, I hope the Sergio Perez positive test is a warning shot to the field that, no, you are not exempt from this. If you want to potentially throw your team in the sport under a bus, don't breach the fucking bubble, uh, basically. Look, it, it, took one, it took one positive test in Australia to completely derail that weekend and the whole sport. Right. 
So, you know, it, it, it doesn't take much, let's put it to you that way, at all. And, uh, yeah, if anyone, if anything, this was a, a lucky escape for the sport in general, that it was just the one positive case that they could isolate. Again, as mentioned, I do wish Perez a speedy recovery, but my God, don't be so goddamn negligent. Um, yeah, as of, yeah. The, as of the time of recording, he is fine, thankfully, which is you know, only good news. Thankfully. Thankfully. That, so if Perez isn't racing... And who the heck is? That was the next question immediately asked. Yeah. And boy, we learned that Formula One teams were clearly not prepared for this actually happening. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because uh, you'd think a team as operationally rock solid as Mercedes would, well, they would make sure that their reserve drivers, which of course are loaned out to Racing Point and McLaren, would be eligible for an FIA super license. Yeah, this was a messy situation. So the teams all had to have official substitute drivers lined up in case of a positive test. Everybody declared theirs earlier going in. Um, Mercedes announced that they were going to share their reserve drivers amongst their powered teams. So obviously themselves, Racing Point and Williams. Um, and their future power team. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, McLaren as well. Um, th thanks for reminding me there, King. Um, so when this test broke out, the first thing that immediately came out to people's minds was Stoffel Van Dorn, who's Mercedes' official reserve driver in the factory team. However, as you probably... Big occupado. Um, um, exactly, as people very quick to point out. No, he's in Berlin preparing for their sextuple header finale in Formula E. So chalk him off the list. Next up was Esteban Gutierrez, the another Mercedes reserve driver. Um, just one problem with him. He's not driven a Formula 1 car since 2016. Um, and the problem with that is, is that as a result of that of him not driving a Formula 1 car and not reapplying for a, for a super license in, in the one year since his, his previous license expired, he'd have to complete 300 kilometers in a relevant car before the race weekend. Mm, even though it, we later found out that's not possible because when you when you enter a race your super license needs to be active for a few months before you're allowed to use it right even if Gutierrez got a super license tomorrow which is established as certainly not happening he probably wouldn't be eligible to actually run for the remainder of the season yep oh but don't worry racing point made plans you remember a few years ago when Nico Hulkenberg signed his new deal with Renault and when what was then Force India released a brand new pink BWT livery, mm -hmm. Nico Hulkenberg had a, had a kind of half-hearted crack. It's just like, well, you know why I'm not racing for these guys anymore? Because their car's pink. <laughs> well. Oh. Oh, how the turntables. Hulkin back. Hulkenberg. back. Um, Hulkenberg happened to be on the ground at Silverstone helping, I believe, RTL do commentary. He was scheduled to do commentary. He was scheduled to. Uh, However, he, he had to show uh, up a day early. <laughs> he had to show up a day early, hop into the uh, Racing Point simulator, and uh, they found him a suit and some boots, and oh shit, Hulkenback. Hulken, like, based on the schedule I saw, Hulkenberg basically just didn't sleep. Shows him Silverstone, yeah. uh, you know, gets the seat fitting done, wait for the testing center to open, do his test, go back to the factory, do sim time, waiting for the result, go get the result, 
come back, do more, do more sim time, show up for free practice one. We were so excited for this dude who effectively only missed three races. I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> only missed three races, but of course, had no preparation, is new to this team in this guise because, well, last time he raced for them, they were, well, they weren't racing points. Yeah. Where's VJ at? This. <laughs> Um, somewhere I'm not yet. paying his taxes. Somewhere he's not paying his taxes. Um, yeah, so as Vic points out, he got the call at 4 p.m. on Thursday afternoon, landed on the got the first flight to, um, to England, landed at 7 p.m., went straight to the track, and, and obviously Force India's factory, which is literally right next door, Force India Racing Point, sorry. It still confuses me years later. Jordan. Jordan. Jordan, whatever. Jordan. Get out of my head! <laughs> 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 Very good. Um, yeah, they, they they rolled up to the uh, to the to the factory's headquarters again a couple of hours later. Got a short term deal signed up. Um, had a COVID test obviously on the day, but uh, had a seat fitting put in. Simulator time. They were still trying to get him a racing suit. He had to borrow one of Lance Stroll's racing suits as well as boots. But uh, they got him geared up and ready to go, and they officially announced him a handful of minutes before FP1 started. So props to Racing Point for getting all that sorted out in a matter of hours. Um, yeah. Um, so well done them. Um, but it kind of had a bittersweet ending. Hulkenberg tried. He actually was very good in practice. He qualified. I believe it was P13 originally. He was he missed out on Q3 by. Yeah, we we, we had a fun moment in uh, free practice where. The seat fitting wasn't quite right. Yeah, and we got a uh, we got a quality soundbite of can we can we stop? My right ass cheek is getting numb. <laughs> Lovely. Um, that was that was that was a funny one right there. Um, so yeah, um, Hulkenberg qualified. I think it was P thirteen. He was just outside. Q- he was, I think it was point zero six out of making Q three. Very yeah. unlucky. It was a close Q two. It was a close cut line. Yeah, by the end of uh, by the end of the practice sessions, he was. He wasn't quite as fast as Lance, but he was keeping him honest. Yeah, given that Hulkenberg was pretty much there the entire weekend on 24 hours notice, I think that was an incredibly impressive effort uh, from Nico Hulkenberg, all things considered. Unfamiliar car, unfamiliar setup. He'd just flown in the day before, basically hadn't, barely uh, barely slept. Um, you know, the, the night before, and then still goes up and is competitive in a Formula One weekend, like he was never, like he was never gone. So, very impressive effort from Hulkenberg. Almost like he probably shouldn't have been booted out of Renault in the first place. Got to please the shareholders. Um, <laughs> so, just when you think Hulkenberg's weekend couldn't get any crazier, Sunday before the race, and they can't get Hulkenberg's car started. It's the option that I wasn't considering when I was debating, like, right, how is Hulkenberg going to lose his maiden podium at a racing point? Is he, A, going to be disqualified because of this appeal from Renault, or, two, he's going to be asked to move over for a quickly approaching Lance Stroll? Well, as it turns out, it was neither, because I believe a clutch bolt sheared, and got stuck inside the drive line so Oof. it just it locked the internal combustion engine it wouldn't turn over and uh, it's a whole mess so yeah as a result of that car couldn't start they had to move hulkenberg off the grid into the pit lane to maybe try and fix it they couldn't fix it so hulkenberg got the rarely seen in f1 dns did not start um and of course the 
The weekend where Hulkenberg had a genuine shot at a podium after all this fanfare over his return. Seriously, I saw people talking about him getting getting tattoos. Multiple people saying <laughs> they were going to get Hulkenberg tattoos. Yeah, I saw multiple women on my timeline saying they were going to get 27 <laughs> tattoos if he got on the podium. The simping was strong this weekend. Um, <laughs> after all of that, he doesn't even start. Because, of course... Oh. Oh, the racing gods hate Nico Hulkenberg without a if dash. He, if he had no bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. Yeah, uh, though we need we need to cycle cycle back for a bit. Mm. The fact that we got to this point where not only uh, Mercedes had uh, two reserve drivers who couldn't participate, uh, somehow the FIA allowed them to declare two reserve drivers who could not participate. For multiple teams. Right. Um, yeah. Useful. Yeah. It's fine. I, I, I've, I've said this before, and th- this follows into a story we got today saying that uh, Paul DeResta is officially McLaren's substitute if, if either Carlos Sainz Jr. or Lando Norris tests positive between, obviously, now and, and the anniversary weekend. Uh, Who's that McLaren guy? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's Paul DeResta, everybody. And uh, I said it before. I that I can't believe there wasn't some sort of exemption in the super license rules regarding this because you surely had to have known, given the desperation that motorsport is in to restart. Given that there are not very many people that aren't in Formula 1 right now that do have an active super license, and if they do, they aren't racing in another series as it is, like with Formula E in Berlin, or like, for example, let's say IndyCar over in the United States that until this weekend, you know, were thinking, oh, we've got two races this week and next week in Ohio, for example... Like there needed to have been some sort of exemption in the rule book here because now you've boxed yourself in with trying to find replacement cars when the sport says you have to run two. When Esteban Gutierrez, who was a high-ranking reserve option for a lot of these teams, literally couldn't was literally was ineligible to race. I just yeah. it, 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 you've boxed yourself in. It's it, it's it was silly. And so like. I, I get why there aren't any exemptions because it leaves the door open for abuse, which has happened in the past. Right. Also, there there are other things that, like, not only the super license rule they have to make an exemption for uh, the in all FIA sanctioned competition, doing double duties blatantly, uh, like, ruled out. You're not allowed to take part in two series in the same weekend at an FIA sanctioned event. So that means. If you race in Formula 1, you cannot race in Formula 2. Meaning that who's ever in Formula 2 paying, you know, millions of dollars to their team to just to participate, uh, you're going to throw your whole season away just because an F1 team wants you in a one-off situation. Hi, Felipe Dragovic. Yeah. <laughs> Who ended up being really quick in Formula <laughs> yeah. 2, more on that in our F2 segment. Yeah, and, and his team, MP Motorsport, tweeted him in big capital letters, No, you're not! Uh, <laughs> regarding him potentially <laughs> taking part in Formula 2. I know Louis Delatraz was one of those guys that joked about it as well. So yeah, all of Formula 2 was immediately ineligible. Uh, Formula E was off the table for obvious reasons. They're, they're obviously racing the same weekend, or similarly, basically yeah. like a few days of each other. And anyone else that's ineligible, well... Yeah, as we saw with Esteban, probably doesn't have a license or was already racing that weekend anyway. Like, 
if you take just the idea of you needing a super license out of the equation, the teams weren't prepared regardless. They had no one on hand if the situation were to happen. Right. That's yeah. great. It's just arrogance. Like, like they clearly did not think this was going to happen until it did. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, um, Racing Point ended up with, with egg on their face. Luckily, they were able to rectify it, but it ultimately didn't matter because his car broke. Um, so, yeah, uh, all of that for a DNS for Nico Hulkenberg in a Racing Point. Imagine me no, saying no, that on if, Wednesday. If you, <laughs> if you do put a tinfoil hat on, <laughs> you're not allowed to retire or you know withdraw an entry from a race unless there is a mechanical issue. Uh, it was really convenient that Racing Point couldn't start Nico Hulkenberg's car. Uh, I'm not saying it was it was you know purposeful, King. but it was really convenient. King, it was a sealed Mercedes component that failed. Take off the hat. <laughs> It it was the clutch. It wasn't a part of the power unit. Yeah, it's still supplied by Mercedes. <laughs> it wasn't sealed, though. There are some conspiracy theories you should believe. I don't know about this one just yet. But like, but 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 I was gonna say, what what would be the benefit of taking Hulkenberg's car out of the race? One less disqualification. Yeah, one less disqualification. Save the components for your actual driver. Uh, like <laughs> King, are you are you like bathing? Are you, are, are you bathing in tinfoil right now? Uh, a little bit, but but there's actually like they have motive. I'm, that's all I'm saying. They have motive. King, like Romain Grosjean in a GPDA meeting, has dipped his toes in the water and decided to do a runner. <laughs> <laughs> Only his bath is made of tin foil. How dare... King, I expected better from you. King, you're like the least likely person to go into tin foil hat theories. I'm so disappointed. For, for Checo. For shame. I thought I was... I thought I thought I was the resident Checo stan of this discourse. Right! King, what's going into you? Time out. <laughs> like, on the naughty stuff. Yeah, let's, so let's move on. I will, let's uh, move on. I, I will now be running the Tempelhof Night stream on Friday. <laughs> this is recorded. Yeah. Yep. Moving on. Uh, lights out. Away we go to sleep. This race was boring. <laughs> yep. There was a hint of a Hamilton Botas side-by-side in the turn run that didn't. Yep, blast pulled out. Mercedes 1-2 but- for most of it. Yeah, this race was boring until the last couple laps. Yeah, it, well, it, well, it was... Uh, we, we, we should say there was a safety car for a absolutely enormous crash for Daniel Kofi. Yeah, I was going to mention this as well because this is what kind of set up the ending. So I wanted to get I wanted to make a mention to this early early doors lap 11. Um Daniel Kvyat has a catastrophic left rear tire failure going into maggots. Right rear. Right rear, sorry, thank you. Um it going yeah. into maggots at 190 miles an hour. Um spins out, loses control, goes straight into the Armco barrier. Thankfully, driver okay, um, but his car was a mess. Um, that was a write-off, and uh, yeah, it took about six laps for them to clear clear the wreckage on that one. As I said, thankfully okay, but remember this, it does become important later because pretty much all of the field got off their soft got off their soft or medium tires that they were racing with from qualifying and immediately went to a one-stop hard strategy now pretty early in the race too yeah well, lap uh, lap 13 everyone pitted on now Pirelli said the hard compound tire was good for about 35 laps 
Now, this was with... These guys were pitting for new tyres with 40 laps to go. Um, so, they were pushing it, but obviously they must have had the assumption that given the safety car time, taking some laps off the table, they probably make it. Fast forward to three laps to go. Now... Valtteri Bottas had already complained earlier on in the race about vibrations around his front left tyre. And with three to go, it lets go. Uh, spectacularly. His, uh, left, his left front explodes. He has to come into the pits. Um, he was running in second at the time. Uh, losing time to Hamilton, but it didn't matter by that point. You were thinking, easy Mercedes 1-2. Um, his tire blows. He has to change, um, and he was a long way away from the from the from the pits. I'd say he uh, his tire blew going through the final corner. Yeah, past the pit entry, so he had to do a full lap on a flat left front tire. Yeah, he, he, he thankfully didn't damage the car too much. He was able to get into the pits after a full lap on a punctured tire. Came back out. We'll talk about Bottas again in a minute because it gets a bit more spectacular than this. Because uh, Carlos Sainz, who at this point was running a net fourth, uh, he has a, he has an identical blowout down the hangar straight. Um, so he's had a front left tire explode. He has to dash for the pits and put a new set on because his tire's gone. So everybody's now thinking, oh my god, okay, what's happening now? We're all just going, holy shit. Um, I love that date. Oh my god! Uh, I, I was, um, That's Lewis Hamilton going slowly! Um, he, by the way, shout out to David Croft who got the wrong car initially. That was uh, a bit of. That, <laughs> yeah. that, that was heart attack inducing. Thankfully, I was watching on Channel 4's coverage with the superior commentator of Ben Edwards. Oh, well, you uh, stop. Um, uh, so I didn't. You know, I dodged that bullet, thankfully. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they got that one wrong. Um, it, it, I think it caused several million fans watching at home to have a heart attack, thinking that's Hamilton's car, dot, 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 only for 30 seconds later for Hamilton to actually have a front left tyre blow out of his own. You know those memes? You know those memes about Hamilton radio Bono, radioing? Bono, I mean it this time. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's, oh, shit, the pressure's low. 10% yeah. tyre performance, according to AWS Insights. Yeah, but, Amazon, you're drunk. Go home. Yeah, it was amazingly, it was a bit less than 10. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Hamilton's front left explodes on the final lap of the race. Further back, Max Verstappen has come into the pits basically for a fastest lap run because he knows Bottas is behind him. He's got 35 seconds on Charles Leclerc, who's now running third. Uh, more on him in a second. But Verstappen takes a safe stop knowing, hey, sod it, we, we got a free run for fastest lap. We might as well take the pit stop now on the final lap. Get a yeah. fresh pair of boots on and go This is right it. after Bottas blew his tire. So Red Bull sees this as just like, okay, let's go ahead. We got enough of a gap. Let's go ahead and maximize our points. Yeah. Well, the thing is, as well, is they also saw, they said after the fact that the hards that came off of Verstappen's car had cuts in them. Yeah. Ooh. It was. They did that not just for the safe uh, run for a fastest lap. They did it to ensure that they would make the finish. Because as you mentioned, there was nothing to lose. Right. Remember that it becomes very important right about now because as we as we found out, Verstappen stopped on the on the penultimate lap. Um, he's now come out, and now Hamilton is going very slowly on the final lap of the Grand Prix, nursing a car with three wheels on his wagon to the finish line, while Verstappen, who's, by the way, is probably his entire head is now turned red like something out of a cartoon, trying to gun him down on a fresh pair of boots. 
chasing him down on the final lap of the race. Um, it led to an incredible finish where Hamilton is limping over the line, which, and by the way, Mercedes put this fact out there, three wheels on his car, 230 kilometers an hour on the hangar straight. <laughs> out here, shades of Tony Stewart, 2004. He drove down the <sighs> hangar straight at 144 miles an hour with three tires. Um, mm -hmm. And if you listen to the radio message, he is remarkably calm about the whole situation. Um, Lewis Hamilton might not be fuming. Um, yeah, uh, part of that was Bono. Bono made, made it a point to just very calmly feed Lewis the gap, tell him to get on with it, and he did. Was, 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 was there a pile of excrement underneath Bono's seat at the time? <laughs> there had to have been. Um, so yeah, oh Hamilton with three wheels on his wagon wins the British Grand Prix. Um, how, like Verstappen, again, f just 5.8 seconds behind him. He was 35 seconds behind Hamilton when the final lap started. <laughs> so all it, all it would have taken was, if Lewis has that tire failure one corner earlier, because I think he had it coming out of Luffield on, yeah, on the final lap. he did. Um, if he has that one corner earlier, Max wins that race. Yeah, and and, and it was and yeah, it was one of two ridiculous miracle finishes we had in that race. We'll get to Formula Two a little bit later on. So Hamilton effectively wins the race uh, with three wheels on his wagon. If Red Bull didn't stop, maybe they would have actually won the race. It would have been a gamble, I, or so maybe sure. they would have blown a tire. Yeah. And yeah. Don't get me wrong. They, they said that. Max's tire was very critical. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Probably the right call, but you'll never. Like, it's one of those. It's one of those fascinating what if moments where if they didn't stop, they probably win if the tire doesn't blow. And uh, the surprise for me is that after Bottas blew his tire, that Hamilton wasn't pulled in for safety reasons because he had such a gap to Max that it wouldn't have mattered. I'm surprised Mercedes didn't go for the safe option. They didn't. They gambled, and it very nearly backfired. But, of course, because it's Lewis Hamilton, who's who basically is, his tyre was refilled by the spirits of British fans not in attendance on that final lap, would go on to win his 86th career Grand Prix. Um, and also breaking uh, Alan Prost's all-time record of most wins at a home Grand Prix. I think it's a seven. 87 career wins. 87. So God. not only does it beat a Prost record with the seventh win in Britain, he set a new record for the most races led from start to finish, beating a set of record. Yeah. And yeah. he's the first driver to win a race on three wheels. <laughs> I believe it's also his 40th win from lights to flag. 40. He's had 40 wins from lights to flag. That's insane. Yeah, only, an, only the tire situation away from a grand slam. Yeah, because Verstappen set the fastest lap of the race on the final lap. So he, he did get the bonus point, for, which puts him up to 19 for the day. So, yeah. Uh, an un like, this was a terrible race with an unbelievable finish. And uh, Boy, that woke me up from my nap. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was out at work watching this, and I had a colleague next to me that had no interest in Formula 1, and she nearly fell off her chair watching it. It was hilarious. <laughs> um, a lot of people had to turn around mid-coitus and look at their television screens. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Um, I, my, my, my jeans... No comment. <clears throat> My jeans turned brown afterwards. It was uh, an unbelievable finish. 
We'll go down the rest of the field and make some observations here in just a second here. Lewis Hamilton, as mentioned, winning the British Grand Prix um, ahead of Max Verstappen by 5.86 seconds, one tyre and an extra corner. As mentioned, Verstappen got the fastest lap of the race, uh, a 127.0 on the final lap, so he gets a bonus point for 19 rather than 18. Somehow, some way, in a completely busted Ferrari, Charles Leclerc with his second podium of the year. How? We, uh, we need to talk about this. Oh boy, here we go. It is that time again on Motorsport 101. Ferrari therapy. Oh, where do we even start with this? Um, a tale of two Ferrari weekends, I think, I think is the easiest way of saying it. Leclerc was genuinely excellent salvaging a, you know, he was... Leclerc drove the race of his life. This, this I would argue, is his best drive in F1. Yeah, he was, uh, he was, uh, he qualified fourth. Finished in third um, in a car in a car that right now might be fifth best on paper. Um, it's uh, it's, we uh, on their telemetry trace. The very curious thing appeared after the first two practice sessions that both Ferraris were having to trail break into cops. What I understood is that these cars were just set up on a knife edge. Yeah. The yeah, whole the, fucking If weekend. you look at the Ferraris, and the initial meme was that Mercedes showed up with a Monza rear wing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the, the Mercedes just has so much inherent downforce that they can just cut as much wing off as they like, and they'll still be fast in the corners. Right. Love it. Well, if Mercedes had a Monza wing, Ferrari had a Bonneville wing. Because they had to cut all the downforce off this car to make it any kind of competitive in a straight line. It has so much inherent drag. It's so underpowered compared to the other teams. Yeah, uh, that car is a hot mess. Sebastian Vettel barely got any running in on, on Friday in FP1 and 2. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is the worst weekend Sebastian Vettel has ever had in Formula 1. He had the loose pedals. He had loose Three stuff the in the cockpit part 2. Yeah, he had... He lost all of free practice one due to an intercooler failure. He lost most of free practice two to two separate brake pedal problems. Now, of all the pedals that are loose, I really don't want the brake pedal to be loose. No, no nor do I. And then had a repeat of the issue in free practice three, leaving him totally unprepared for the extremely aggressive knife edge setup that Ferrari had the cars on. Which, of course, doesn't play into Vettel's strengths anyways, because he is a downforce man. He had to use yeah. the softs to get into Q3. He was miles off of Leclerc all weekend and mired in traffic for most of the race. He ran most of the race outside of the points, only got the final championship point because of the tire failures for Valtteri and Sainz, respectively. And despite the fact that in the second half of the race... He was turning competitive times, about equal to Charles. The Ferrari's so slow in a straight line that he just couldn't do anything with it. It was a hot mess. He couldn't get close to the Renaults ahead, and it hurt uh, after the race. Mattia, Mattia Bonotto comes on the radio and attempts to sympathize with Seb, and it's just silence. Yeah. Silence until the engineer demands a radio check out of Seb. For a good 30 seconds, Seb is just speechless. Yeah, he turned around afterwards and just said, Tough race. I was trying to change my driving style every two or three laps to try and figure out something but couldn't get a breakthrough. Um, 
I have never That's seen Vettel so despondent in the 13 years I've seen him in F1. And this is a man with nearly 250 Grand Prix under his belt, and he looks like a beaten man in that team. He, like I have never seen him so off the pace. I, you don't, you don't forget how to drive in one week, and but this is a this is a Vettel who maximized what he could get last week in Hungary. Was it a week ago or two weeks ago? I don't know. It's 2020. Yeah. And beat Leclerc, was able to do his own strategy, out-qualified Leclerc two weekends in a row. Silverstone is the most confidence-driven track maybe on the F1 calendar. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have that, you're not going to have a good time. We have a theme here of uh, top three teams that effectively felt like they ran one car. And while... Well, I won't go as far as to say that Ferrari is sabotaging Seb because that is a big thing on social media right now. It it almost feels more like apathy, like his side of the garage just their heart isn't in it. Is he on quit watch yet? I don't know if he's going to pull a Prost and call the car a truck, but he came close. He came very close. He, he dabbled. I, he, he walked it back, but he dabbled with the idea saying, I don't want to call a conspiracy, but he said something doesn't add up. Vettel had two good weekends on the bounce, and he looked like his normal self. And this weekend, I, I, I've never seen one weekend rip the confidence out of a driver like I saw this weekend with Sebastian. It was, it hurt. It'll be wild when he gets back in the top five net this coming weekend. Look, I, well, I'm i not, not so sure I'm not because on that. I think that, I, I already said, I've never seen one weekend rip a driver's confidence out so completely. This is a Grand Prix he won two years ago in spectacular fashion. Yeah, yeah. at a track where, you know, tactics aside, thank you, Kimmy, he was absolutely phenomenal two years ago. And... He was sensational less than a year ago in Germany when he went from twentieth to second. This man didn't. This man didn't suddenly stop learning how to drive a car. Like if I had to, to like boil it down as much as possible, I'd I'd say that Ferrari are in a buying period where you could be a Charles Leclerc and just drive your heart out, and not care that the car is garbage, because you know the team is focused on twenty twenty two. If you're Sebastian and you're leaving at the end of the year, you know for you the car is never going to improve. What you got is what you got. Uh, so why even? Yeah, but you have to you have to bet on yourself. That's the whole idea. You, you have to put you have to put yourself out in the shop window if you're Vettel, especially with the fact that he happened to step into the personal Ferrari 488 of uh, one Otmar Safnauer. Of, is this uh, what a stable point. car feels like? Thank you, Otmar. Yes. But, yeah. but, but the thing is, like, I, I, I don't want to say that he's resting on his laurels, but Vettel's shop window is sitting in the lobby of Red Bull Racing and Milton Keynes. That's all you need. Yeah. But that's uh, the thing. I don't know. Everyone and their mother is now saying this Vettel deal is imminent. Ted Kravitz more or less, like, put his name on it during Ted's notebook after the Grand Prix. Like, Everyone in the paddock is saying he's going to end up in that racing point Aston Martin next year now. It's apparently a matter of when rather than if. Yeah, well, especially when, if you look at uh, this weekend, if you're racing point, you almost want to go sign Nico Hulkenberg because Perez was careless and got the Rona and Vettel had the weekend from hell. Yeah, what a weekend. <laughs> what a strange time. 
Meanwhile, meanwhile, his teammate drives spectacularly for the second time this season and gets a podium out of nothing. Look, I don't care how you feel about Sebastian as a driver at this point. If your two cars and your two drivers are having two rapidly different weekends and there was no shenanigans involved, something is badly wrong with your racing team. Well, there was shenanigans. <laughs> Look, a driver, especially at Silverstone, you're not going to have a good weekend if you get a sum total of about 25 laps in practice. You're just not. No, it's just, that's, why they, that's why people swear on these free practice sessions, which we'll get to later. Um, going down the order a little bit further, only a second behind Charles Leclerc. If this race was one lap longer, we could have been talking about King swallowing some potassium because Daniel Ricciardo finished fourth. Oh my goodness! Uh, the how? bet, how? the bet is off. <laughs> hey, yeah, the bet. The, to be fair, the bet was a win. <laughs> That's still a ways off, but uh, Renault, not bad. Not bad, not bad at all. Uh, Ricardo put in a very good weekend. Saved up his tires and went on the attack late in the race. I think I think Ricardo drove for his life, fearing that Hulkenberg could score a podium. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can't be upstaged. I can't let him do it to me. Look at that, McCl- Renault Power fourth, fifth, and sixth. Not bad. Lando Norris with his third top five finish in four rounds. Uh, yes, Lando Nori S. I love that helmet. Yes, uh, quick quick story as well from that. Yeah, it was Eva, a six-year-old girl who was watching with uh, with her dad and designed the helmet and entered Lando Norris having a fan competition to design a uh, helmet for the weekend. Um, and it is the most adorable, like, you know, childhood scribbles of Lando. They had the S. They, they, I love that she didn't have enough room to put the S on the end of Lando Norris's surname, so she put it underneath and then Formula One actually put it on the graphics for their FP1 timings. I thought that was beautiful. Um, we, we, we don't have enough fun in this sport, and that's that's a fun little tidbit. No, it's a fun little tidbit. It was a... It, it, honestly, I loved, I loved everything about this. In a sport that needs all the help it can get bringing in new fans, especially younger fans, to have a child's helmet design be shown to the world in such a vocal social media era and such a spo- a social yeah. spotlight that was a beautiful thing and I, I can i can only begin to imagine how many little girls were watching that inspired just to see you know lando drive one of their designs um on the car this weekend he's, he's like i i have a genuinely higher level of respect for this kid he gets it he absolutely gets it when it comes to Formula One generating an audience and getting people to care about you. Some of the not so uh, mature members of his fan base need to keep themselves in check, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, given this Twitch stream after the race, which, if you've seen, uh, was rather cringy with uh, some of their more forward requests uh, for Lando on that one. But this kid's got this kid's got a very very wise head on his shoulders for a 22 year old and uh i applaud him for it um if they do sell the special cap afterwards i do hope they can give either and uh, her dad a little royalty check on the side that would be quite nice mm-hmm. um because yeah. uh, that is her design i think it would be only fair to give the family a cut on that personally but still a a wonderful gesture from lando and uh yeah well done kid uh, great drive as well to finish in the top five esteban ocon in sixth great drive from him very went very under the radar oh that's a, yeah that's a, yeah, spent most of the race squabbling with Stroll. Yeah, he did it. 
Esteban Ocon's pretty good, y'all. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to tell y'all this since it came back. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Man can drive. But we kind of already knew that already. Uh, France 6 and 7 because Pierre Gasly in 7 for Alpha Tauri that's a great drive from, yeah. from Pierre phenomenal drive he beat Albon like legitimately over the line there by a second and a half and he, like the team was absolutely delighted with that P7 you could hear the radio it was it was like the Brazil podium all over again um, it, they were absolutely delighted they were jumping up and down in the Alpha Tauri garage P7 um, the best result one of their cars has had this season. Um, and yeah, Gasly delighted and rightly so got into a, had yeah. a, had a, had a great highlight move of the race on Sebastian Vettel to overtake him as well. Um, awesome, awesome race uh, for Pierre. Oh, yeah. Um, we've got to talk a little bit about Alex Albon here, who um, his, oh. his race was, uh, shall yeah. we say, compromised on the opening lap. Uh, on the t- on the subject of teams that aspire to take down Mercedes, that apparently just field one good car every mm-hmm. weekend. Yeah, Albon uh, continued his his severe pace struggles against Max. The gap between them is just getting worse. It was twenty seven seconds in this case, um, and that's and and that's with Max taking an extra stop. I say that wasn't really down to. Uh, pure pace now was it no he, right he, because he got tangled up with magnuson second lap that brought the first of what seemed like two back-to-back safety cars out yeah. albon gets a five second stop go penalty out of the exchange and somehow comes away with an eighth place finish out of that all things considered not now terrible yeah question but, mark? Uh, but, the incident with magnuson was it was on him uh, divisive. It, I, I, I'm gonna disagree because, yes, that move was never on. I agree, but if you're Magnuson and you're Magnuson, you go wide with the previous corner. You're taking a wide entry. You've got a driver 75 percent alongside you. He's he, Albon was up to his barge boards. You can't just turn in like he's not there. It doesn't matter what corner. Doesn't matter what situation. You can't just turn in. Like, like he's not there. But also, would it be unfair to say that Albon should have backed out of it? Albon was 75% alongside. But there was no way he was going to make that pass and come out in front. There was no he way. He was off-throttle in the corner, though. <sighs> I don't know if Magnussen makes that corner either way because he was wide on entry. I, I think K-Mag makes it. I, I think Albon had to have backed off sooner. There was no way he's coming down that straight anywhere near in front. The racing line's on the outside going into turn one anyway. There was no way Albon's making that move stick. Like, And in, and the, what doesn't help is that Albon's been criticized in the past for not having patience. This is a... Cl- you're not passing someone on the final corner, Cam. Like, it's not happening. That is a complete... Well, shit. All we did last year when Pierre was at Red Bull was criticize him for being too damn patient. Right. And now he's going too far the other way. And we're about to put... Yeah, and now we're going to get into this point where we're just like, hey, we're going to dunk on a guy for being too patient. The thing is, when when you have the pace to make a move, you have the pace to make a move. And usually Albon doesn't. And, And Esteban Ocon did have the pace and sat back. That's the difference. Mm. I, 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 I think Albon needed to pick his spot. That was not the right spot. You're in a Red Bull. He's driving a Haas. Like, and it's the final corner. That's never an overtaking move. Not in a month for Sundays. 
Um, no. Um, I think Albon went too far the other way on this one. He did well to recover back to eighth in the end. He clearly had good pace. He was setting fastest laps for fun in the middle of that Grand Prix. Um, on an alternate strategy. And he was driving well and making good moves on people up the field. But that was another race where... You, that was a race where he could have been thinking podium finish on another day. And instead it's it's eighth. And it it's another one of those weekends where... And I, I spoke to Nate Saunders about this on Twitter, who's uh, part of ESPN's F1 setup, and it said it felt like a sliding door. Like, Austria, looking back now, might have been a sliding doors moment when he gets tagged by Hamilton, because now the narrative is building against Albon about whether he's good enough to justify that seat, where if he makes that move stick on Hamilton, a move that was never his fault for what happened in the end of it, as far as I'm concerned. I think it was right that Hamilton got a five-second time penalty that day in Austria. If, he, if that move is clean, Albon probably goes on to win the race. And we're not having this conversation yeah. about him potentially losing his job. It's it's crazy how much of these races can swing on a dime. Because what happened in, what happened in Styria a week later? Albon was, what, 30-plus seconds behind his teammate and we're all rolling our eyebrows again. And that's still his best finish of the season. I mean, yeah. sure, yeah, Red Bull and AlphaTauri at this point would probably like to do an arrangement where they just rotate Albon and Gasly depending on how they're feeling. But, you know, that's not feasible in the bubble. Well, and Red Bull came out after the fact and said, well, amazingly, we actually, we need to do a better job of supplying him a car that he's comfortable with. They just gave him an experienced engineer. Yeah, they gave him Daniel Ricciardo. I, just, I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's enough with this car, with how on a knife edge the Red Bull you is. You know what's funny? That story was posted on Instagram talking about how they need to do better by Albon and get him a better car. And uh, Max's dickhead dad said, uh, yeah, for both cars, by the way. Um, and I was just like, go fuck yourself, Jos. Um, basically, you know. Can we, uh, well, Jos is too busy remembering his most notable moment in F1 being lit on fire. Ah, yeah, still satisfying. Uh, rest of the points real quick. Lance Stroll, P9 in the end. Uh, again, was in the wars with Ocon, came out the loser on that one. And uh, Sebastian Vettel rounded off the points in 10th. But he did have a fun last lap moment blocking off Valtteri Bottas. He was gaining time when in behind him at a rate of knots. Uh, good to know the defense is still good on Seb's end at least. Uh, as mentioned, Valtteri Bottas would then finish in 11th. So no points on the other side of the mistake. I want to talk about this. Go, go, go on, Cam. You are in... Perhaps the fastest racing car conceived by the human minds. You are on brand new soft tires. You are alongside Sebastian going into the final complex of corners. How does he not come out in front? And he backs out of the... Vettel didn't even defend. He gave him the inside. He knew there was no point in fighting it. And he couldn't get the move stuck. How? And he backed out. He had nothing to lose. It was the last point. What's the worst that's going to happen? <sighs> This man is not going anywhere near a championship, and anyone who thinks so is fucking delusional. <laughs> Bottas 2.0, 3.0, Bottas 95. I don't care. Is this, 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 does this feel like another one of those sliding doors moments where it's just like, it's just never going to happen for Valtteri? He's... <sighs> is, is, is he another guy that's, that's, too, that's not aggressive enough? Because... 
I think of he, Valtteri and... He's not aggressive enough. That's, that's the thing, though, Cam. Look at this Grand Prix last year. He had that fantastic sequence of Hamilton fighting through Sector 2 and, you know... Because it's different. It's different when Valtteri's defending. He's a phenomenal defender. But when he's trying to overtake someone, he never goes for the move. Is I wonder, is he like the anti-Rosberg, where he's too far the other way? To, and, and is he a bit too compliant with the Mercedes setup to ever actually think about winning this? Oh, he abs- absolutely. Don't, I mean, don't, Lewis yeah. is always going to win against his precious Finnish lapdog. I mean, d- d- don't get me wrong. I know this is obviously an ideal situation for Mercedes. They don't want another guy rocking the boat. I think a part of it is absolutely we were spoilt with Nico Rosberg as well, where Rosberg was a yeah. flashpoint generator in his own right because he was good enough to give Hamilton a fair fight. Um, and Valtteri is not Nico Rosberg. And that Say what you want about Nico. Nico never backed down from a fight. No. And it had consequences for doing so. Like, there was... Yeah. You know, he he stepped over that line just as much as Hamilton did when they were fighting each other for those three years they were fighting for titles. You know? Well, eventually, Nico hit the stage where, with Lewis, he decided, okay, Lewis, every time you try to run me out of road, I'm going to take us both out of the race. Your yeah, choice. Mercedes don't want those problems anymore. Uh-huh. I know nobody likes it because we like to think somehow that anybody else has a chance when the other two teams are tripping over their own dicks every other weekend. Yeah, this it removes any tension out of the championship that there could ever be because he's never going to beat Lewis. Indeed. He he can produce a very good qualifying lap. He is. I, I think he is a very underrated qualifier. Very underrated. But he can't manage his tires, and he can't overtake. And I, I disagree with Vic in the chat that Bottas got the better start, but because of where the line is on turn one... I don't think he was going to have enough speed to open up the corner and pass Hamilton. No, he, he, but he backed out of the move so heavily that it basically be- put him a second behind by the straight. Yeah, he, uh, Hamilton was 15 car lengths clear by the, by the Wellington straight. It was over by that point in time. It, it's like he's, sca- he's scared of what might happen if he races Lewis wheel to wheel. And yeah, he's never really he's never been anywhere near as good as that. As as Rosberg was, and Rosberg was not afraid of, of pissing the of pissing the quote unquote right people off to do it, and that's unfortunate because let's be real here: the only threat of a title challenger this year is Valtteri. It ain't coming from anywhere else. So, yeah, I mean, the t- we didn't even talk about qualifying. Both Merck drivers phoned in the lap. Lewis made mistakes in sector one and sector three. Bottas blew sector two, and they were. A second clear of the field. A literal second. Yeah, we need F1 back to where it was like the good old days. Well, in a way, that's kind of what you're If you getting. meant the good old days being 2014, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, the good old days. That was- Yeah, this oh, was yes. their largest lap time advantage since 2014. Yeah. Dude, it's wild. It, it's, it's crazy. It is crazy. And it... it, it, it it, it, it was it, it, that's the thing. It was a twenty-four-three, and there was probably another tenth and a half on the table that Lewis left behind. It was the fastest ever lap of Silverstone um, in that current layout since we went here in two thousand and ten. Um, it would have qualified them inside the one hundred and seven percent 
of the Ferrari F2004's record lap on the old layout, a track which is 13% longer. Oh, for fuck's sake. Come on. <laughs> it's like, that's mental. What the? I know these cars are ludicrously fast. I mean, we're talking over a thousand horsepower and enough downforce to basically move a planet. But like, it, oh my God. That's just, that's... Yeah, as Vic points out in the chat, the new layout is significantly slower. Um, with an extra section that's slower than anything that was on the old circuit. And yeah, that's that's mental. I'm going to move on now before my head explodes. Um, <laughs> shout out to George Russell in 12th for Williams. That's a great performance from Good him. Um, Good day. Another Q2 appearance. Russell, finish. Russell looking good. Williams as a whole looking... Pretty okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They, they make. They might not be bottom feeders anymore. It's kind of crazy. Or if they certainly are, mm. they're certainly not where they were last year, where they were a distant tenth. They're now. That's all we wanted to see. Pretty much. Yeah. That they're not as bad off as they were the last couple of years. Exactly. Yeah. They're they're not strong, but they're stable. It's it's, it's a start. Yeah. They're right on the the coattails of the mid-field. also the fangirling for george russell has gotten so insane that even though he had a five place grid penalty for ignoring ignoring double wave the yellows in q2 all the people on twitter were just like you know if we just ignore it does, does he actually have to serve the penalty which i thought was just hilarious oh yeah that God. was that, that was not so good uh yeah yeah he just straight up blew a double wave yellows which of course um, can someone list the definition of double-waved yellows? Um, slow down and be prepared to stop. Thank you. <laughs> we, know, we know how M&M's hit single stand ends. You don't have to be that. Carlos Sainz Jr. in 13th, Antonio Giovinazzi 14th, Nicholas Latifi 15th, Romain Crochon had an eventful day in 16. Remember that remember yeah. that safety car we talked about earlier where pretty much the entire field went onto the hard compound tire? The one man who didn't was Romain Grosjean, who stayed there. And everybody gangsta until Romain Grosjean hits lap 23. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Romain, Romain on the mediums was actually... He was taking a look at Charles in the Ferrari. Which I thought was cute for a little while, but then as the field caught up to him, Grosjean was putting on some more and more aggressive defenses to try and keep the faster cars behind him, um, including a couple of very late moving under braking zone incidents that uh, he was given the... And I can't believe I'm saying this for the first time since Monza last year... The black and white warning flag! It's back! <laughs> Who'd have thought it? Um, it's a yellow card! It's a yellow card! And they say it's a penalty! <laughs> yes. Um, Grosjean, Grosjean was given the F1 equivalent of a yellow card for basically uh, making more than one move on the break-in. Um, Grosjean basically admitted, I'd do it again after the race and essentially said, look, I was just trying to get the hass on TV for a bit. Um, which, oh lord. That's about all that's going to do it. Yeah, um, let's just say a bit, a tad irresponsible from Grosjean on that one. But uh, hey, whatever worked, I suppose. Because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the line. It, 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 it worked. It certainly uh, got some eyebrows raised. Even though you'd think Stonewall penalty after getting the black and white flag and then doing it again to Carlos Sainz, basically turning to the last possible minute. Um, but hey, yeah, that's Grosjean for you. Got away with it. Got a reprimand after the race. 
um, and basically had his wrist severely slapped and told, don't do that again, basically. Um, Kimi Raikkonen was 17th, and as mentioned, three DNFs. Daniel Kvyat, who had that enormous puncher on lap 11. K-Mag, who was beached in the gravel by Alex Albon on the opening lap. And Nico Hulkenberg, who sadly did not even take the start. Uh, Raikkonen, who was already having a bad day, and then his uh, his front wing disintegrated spontaneously. As you do. <laughs> no wonder he's thinking about packing it up at the end of this yeah. year. I don't blame heavy, him. Heavy, I, uh, this is his last season. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. And uh, he's he's given enough to F1. Maybe he could actually... Uh, Maybe he could actually give enough of a shit to Neil. Uh, oh, more we'll on that, that in a in bit. A bit. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, rumors are he's going to pack it in at the end of the season. He he will most likely retire as F1's all-time leading appearance uh, leader. Um, he's, he's only I think, he, I think he's only got Rubens Barrichello left to overtake now um, on that all-time list. Um, quick championship breakdowns as well after four races now. Lewis Hamilton now has a thirty. 30-point lead on Valtteri Bottas. Hamilton's on 88, Bottas 58, Max Verstappen on 52. Lando Norris is fourth in the championship right now on 36. He's hanging on in there ahead of Charles Leclerc. Love to see it. Uh, uh, ahead of Charles Leclerc on 33. Constructor standings real quick. Merck's on 146. They already nearly have double the points of Red Bull. Um, They're on 78, which is, again, a terrifying thought. Uh, McLaren's still third on 51. They're eight points ahead of Ferrari. And for all the talk about this dangerous pink Mercedes, who, yes, they were protested again by Renault after the race. Keep keep score at home. Um, they, are, they have actually slipped to fifth, a point behind the dreadful Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship. Funny how that one turned out, eh? Now, I feel like I have to be serious for a moment. Now, there was a lot of, uh, shall we say, uh, press regarding this. Um, after Hungary last week, um, Hamilton led the charge in being critical of the FIA's uh, lack of organization regarding their end racism campaign um, after the Hungarian botched disaster of drivers showing up late. No t-shirts, no social distancing, the Hungarian national anthem being played early, etc., etc., F1 listened. They said, "Okay, we're going to organize. Um, we're going to organize a uh, quote proper, you know, event uh, before the race starts. It was in the official uh, script for how the event was going to play out. It already went over quite badly uh, when uh, they, they they saw the amount of time allotted was uh, 27 seconds." Uh, which, again, on paper was probably not a very good look. Um, now, I actually said on Twitter at the time um, that, look, 27 seconds actually isn't that bad. If, if anyone's been following the Premier League or the cricket, for example, where there's been kneel downs before their events have started, it seems it's about the same sort of time, if not actually a little bit less. So that well, one... do have to point out that there was there was another mm-hmm. certain. Uh, event during the pre-race ceremony, and in fairness, in fairness to the Premier League, is that early on a lot of you know their displays were literally during match time. Right, right. So, yeah, and let's not forget football. But pretty much everyone in the league had Black Lives Matter as part of the 
tapes they had over the seats. Obviously, they're not taking fans during these games in the Premier League. But it, the, the, to, to make this point, every restarted Premier League and FA Cup game we've had since the lockdown, every single player has kneeled before every kickoff. Staff, I can't think of one person that refused to kneel. Not one, which is crazy in over 90 games since the league restarted, um, which is obviously subsequently now finished because the last week was the last set of games was last weekend. Players, officials, the whole lot. Now, this was like, like now when we got to the the pre race itself, we got a uh, pre, a, a uh, pre produced uh, video um, of all 20 drivers at some point, you know, in a audio message, you know black and white video filter because of course um <laughs> pledging and committing to ending racism or you know not being you know not tolerating racism or discrimination of any kind etc etc the reason why i'm kind of glossing over this is because the video was completely fucking forgettable and i'll get into the reasons why in a minute but uh they afterwards they cut back to the front of the grid the usual end racism banner was on the foot of the track and uh, it was exactly the same as the previous three weeks. Um, it was, and with, with one key difference, um, seven drivers stood up, and one guy that had actually changed his mind was Kevin Magnuson, um, who had previously kneeled before but stood up this time. I don't think it was a coincidence that all the standing guys are on the back row. So, like a lot of events where they have the national anthem at the start at the at the start of the race is that they roll out a carpet mm -hmm. with pre-assigned driver spots mm -hmm. and it it might be that they assumed who was going to stand and who was going to kneel but it's not a good look when you, they clearly knew who was going to stand and grouped them in the center of the back row they knew and, what they were doing and they had Lewis front and center in the middle uh they yeah like with, said, with Sebastian exactly right next to him doing. yeah with, yeah, with Sebastian <laughs> who has been one of the most vocal supporters of Lewis in this right next to him yeah. the the only reason I said that that they assumed is that the back row would have been perfectly symmetrical with people standing and people kneeling on the ends if right. it wasn't for one driver who decided to kneel yeah and that was Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, so, uh, well done, Nico, who I must admit, given some of his previous statements in the past about Formula 1, I didn't actually <laughs> expect him to kneel, so, uh, fair play, Hulk, yeah. um, fair play, I'll give you that one, um, you know, I've not, I've, I'm not gonna claim I've been a fan of Hulkenberg the person, but, uh, fair play for recognising, good man, um, Kevin, you've got a lot to fucking answer for, um, on that one, because I have no idea why you would kneel in before and then suddenly changed your mind, and I would have loved for someone in the paddock to ask him why the hell he thought that was a good idea, um, now, look, I've, I, I, I'm, I'm even more cynical than King about this, they knew exactly what they were doing, as far as I'm concerned, because the evidence had already spoken for itself, they they had the set they had the six infamous non kneelers on the back row all next to each other. You don't do that by accident. Like they they, they were trying to make it look like this was planned. This is normal. We're doing fine. Exactly. They 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 did it to make it look pretty. 
And it didn't. It was bullshit. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew they weren't going to kneel. So let's try and at least make it look a little prettier. And maybe some, maybe it will go over the heads of enough people that they don't call us out on it. Now, look, this is what led to the vitrolic and angry post I wrote up on my own website about the situation. Because in my eyes, this was the final straw. Like this, look. Honestly, and I say this sincerely, if anyone from F1 is listening to this, don't bother doing this again. Honestly, nothing is going to change. Like Now, like, if, if you're going to do this again, tell the drivers you're going to stand, don't show up. And and mention yeah. on the world feed who isn't there and why they're not there. Yeah, but even then, all that just shows is how how disjointed the, the pool of drivers is. That, that, it will just highlight the issue more. But that, that's just it. Nothing you can do is going to avoid that because these six dudes have made it very clear. And, you know, six and a half, if you want to include Magnussen in his indecision on this. Like, those six are not going to kneel no matter what. And they've given various degrees of reasons or non-reasons as to why that is. And I mean, at this point, they're all non-reasons. Yeah. At, at, yeah. at, at this point, there is no excuse. And I, and I rattled off the reasons why a lot of their behavior was problematic leading up to this point or beyond it. Um, at, like, at this point, I don't give a shit about the Alfa Romeo drivers because none of them's really spoken out on this. Gio is, Gio's got his head in the fucking clouds as far as I'm concerned, mister. I just want everyone to be happy! You know, <laughs> rainbows and buttercups, and, you know, sorry, Gio, the world doesn't work like that, mate. Kimi Raikkonen's entire brand is not giving a shit. He said people should protest their own way back in Austria, which, again, is a cop-out as far as I'm concerned. As mentioned... Kvyat's reasoning is based in 600-plus-year-old history. It is no longer valid, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and if anything... And it it's, like, it's not only like history that applies to Russians, but history that applies to everyone in the field and other peoples don't have problems with it. Right, right, yeah. right, exactly. That, like, again, the reasoning does not hold up. Like, I'd actually respect him more if he was just honest and said, I don't want to piss off my home country, which... Given it's Russia, I'd almost understand to a degree. Um, and a lot of people have given him a pass for that on social media. I've not been one of them, um, as far as I'm concerned. And, like, I called Carlos Sainz a bootlicker in my original post, and I completely stand by it because he bared his entire ass when he made the most bullshit of statements on Saturday morning regarding why he wasn't kneeling. I'm going to... Actually, I've got the full quote on my phone. I'm going to put it out right now. It says, McLaren's Carlos Sainz added, and I quote, this is on the BBC Sport website on Saturday, um, I am a free man, and I want to express myself in a way that I think is convenient to my culture and my principles. I'm going to keep it that way, and I expect you guys and everyone in the paddock to respect that, as I'm sure you will. Convenient <sighs> to his culture. What the yes, fuck does yeah. that mean? <sighs> and, and the thing is, like, people say, I want to I wanna protest in my own way, and then don't protest at all. They're not doing anything! Uh, <laughs> that's just a cop-out. Yeah. Like, th that, that's just it. And I had to make this point, there's a further disclaimer on Twitter yesterday morning, where I said, look, if Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, or any of these non-kneelers were actually proving they were doing something else to help this campaign or to help whatever campaign there is around to help black people, 
then I would... Or, or at least, like, the bare minimum of vocally saying that they're not against this campaign. Right. Just say, I, like, we're not against it. We just... I'm just not comfortable kneeling. Or, like... And, King, you're being more generous about this than I am, as far as I'm concerned. Because, like, as far as I'm concerned, right? If someone like Verstappen made a cash donation to, to a any organization that was helping black people... You know, whether it be here, in the UK, or his team is based abroad in the United States, who knows? It could be, there's, there's hundreds out there, right? I would have zero issue with him not kneeling. I, like, people were very quick to respond to me saying, oh, just because they're not kneeling doesn't mean they're not against it. Well, as we said before on this show, why should I give them the benefit of the doubt if they're not coming up with a public alternative that we can recognize? I don't. Did, yeah. did did Verstappen not say the topic of racism is difficult? He said he, 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 he said he, he, it's really he, not. He, he said it was complicated. Well, like, like it's complicated. It's really not. Like like it's a Facebook status with a girlfriend that's just dumped him. I mean, seriously, it's no. You you don't get to water this down and come up with a cowardly answer for it because you think it's quote unquote complicated no it's not complicated black people have not been treated equally on this planet for at least 400 years at least as far as you know in modern history right that is obvious yeah. to see and if you are and honestly if you don't see that at this point your head is rammed up your ass i i, I can't and honestly a, a, a lot of these drivers feel this way because number one they either feel like their fans uh don't approve of the protest, which again, that's highly question. That's like that's that's highly problematic in the first place. Right. Our number two, uh, F one doesn't have enough fans that to support this movement, which again, it, it's it the makes- biggest motorsport in the world. Yeah, <laughs> it's a sport that makes. That's such a fucking. It's cop-out. a sport that makes two billion pounds a year. Has still has hundreds of millions of viewers worldwide. That's bullshit. Uh, like that, that. Though again, you have to admit, if you if we just go by Mercedes numbers or Formula One's numbers, uh, the the people of color they interact with is probably in the single digits. It's it's it's, it's yeah. close to zero. I had what someone that I know for I won't mention them by name to protect their identity, but I had someone who I know for a fact is in Formula One's head office. And this person said to me that the amount of people of color that work in their head office is five. And he's one of them. Five. I can count them on one hand. I know people that have had meetings with executives in the sport trying to figure this out. And try to get them to have action, acting as a third party to maybe outsource what the sport can do to improve diversity. Their person got back in touch with me on the phone today and said they just don't get it. This is alarming. And look, you need to stop doing this by going by the drivers. The drivers are not on the same page. The fact that even something as basic as the kneel split the room in Austria should have ended that discussion right there and then. Like... I, yeah, I, the, the the fact that it split the room, and then not only uh, not only race officials at the FIA or FOM, but their teams in general said, "Oh, it's okay. If you don't do this." Uh, says everything you need to know. Yeah, honestly, there's no point. 
there there is no point anymore. Like honestly, the first the the first four. When I, like like can I talk about the video for a minute here? That video was so shit. Like honestly, yep. I cannot. It was such a basic like. Like, they reused footage from February when they had the whole drivers march down the line. They, like, they, yeah. remember, if you remember that big picture they had from the like back in February when they had the whole the 2020 but Before paddock. this all popped up. Yeah. Like, they, they reused the same stock footage they had in February of them walking down the grid together, the class of 2020. They reused... There was no way that any of the standards could opt out of this. Right, right. So, and again, like you said, there is, like, who is going to say no to appearing in a video like that? No one. The amount of shit they'd have to answer for if they said, why did he refuse to be in an end racism video? No, it doesn't work. It's insincere on every level. You just reused some stock footage you recorded from back in February, slapped a black and white filter on it, and then cherry-picked drivers' words in and out of their mouths to make it seem like you had all 20 drivers on board when clearly you don't. Like, Kimi Raikkonen's and contribution to this was two words. I stand. Yeah. That was it. And... <laughs> oh, my God. I stand. <laughs> oh, my God. They're trying to create an illusion of this, and it's... They're trying to create an illusion of United Front. Uh, and there just isn't There isn't one. Is one. And it's glaring. And it's glaring. The fact that Mercedes were honest enough to... To reveal their numbers, uh, and it was real bad. I don't want to match what the other teams are like. Uh, <laughs> and I, I put out a tweet that sort of got some traction earlier today, and it wasn't about Formula One; it was about Formula E, and we'll get to that later on in the week. But it, it really feels like it's they're doing it because it, it it's trendy to be an activist corporate entity now. It's, it's the flavor of the week. And it, and it reminds me of a quote that Stephanie McMahon tweeted five years ago oh, about philanthropy being the future of marketing. I think we're past philanthropy being the future of marketing. Now it's activism being the future of marketing. Because it feels like it's less about enacting social change and more about pushing Formula One's brand further. Right, because they know their brand is a complete no-go in certain areas, and like Hamilton, because Hamilton's been that bridge. Like, for example, places like fashion and popular culture, like music, for example, like, and you can see the liberty of trying. Well, I mean, where else would they? Yeah. Where else would they have the Manic Street Preachers like paint one of their cars and have a music video with one of their cars in it? You know what I mean? They're they're, they're yeah, trying, and, <laughs> and the symbolism they're using, uh, you know mimes off iconic imagery of social activism activism, while co-opting imagery already in the sport, like team colors, like all, like the re, the, the we races one rainbow, the, the banners that Ugh. they have in the stands, instead of saying Black Lives Matter, like the Premier League is a team color rainbow with portraits of all 20 drivers. That's less about what they're trying to do and less about what they're trying to sell you. Yeah, they want they want to make it seem like the sport has a united front, but they are too scared to actually press people on what 
you know, they are, on what discrimination they're actually trying to get rid of. And they said they want to make it all flowery, put a nice friendly term in there that sounds like you're behind the United front of quote-unquote ending racism rather than saying, quote, Black Lives Matter. And, like, people like me, people like King, and anyone with half a functioning brain cell and knowing how the world works at the moment knows we can see right through it. Like, you're you're fooling no one here. When you're when you're openly saying you're trying to solve a problem, yet you're not willing to state the exact extent of the problem. Only one team has stated how bad the problem is at their team. Everyone else has been quiet. Right. How how do we know what progress is when we don't know where we are? Yeah. And again, I applaud Mercedes for being the one team that had the balls to speak out and say, "Look, we're part of the problem here." And I mentioned it before. I mentioned it in the piece. The We Racers One program had a $1 million contribution from Chase Carey put in when it started out. Great. The, their initial manifesto was promising. I've, I, I personally, when I read it, I was like, okay, they seem to have a good idea of what areas they want to target. And the areas that a lot of black people like me and like King have pointed out before is places where they could probably start if they want to see an actual increase in diversity. Media, karting, schools, etc. We've heard yep. nothing about the actual hard plan of Re-Racers 1 since then. And this initial plan was announced six weeks ago now, more or less. Yeah, yeah. We've heard nothing since. We, I, What I would like to see is a hard plan. And and what we, all I'd like to see is where is this money going? Yeah, I, I'd like a monthly, you know, at least quarterly update on how this is going. Yeah, like, I'd like to... Like, it shouldn't have to come down to us, the media, to keep tabs on this for them, for the sake of the public. You came up with this plan. You announced this plan. You marketed the shit out of this plan. You're selling merchandise right now to directly <laughs> contribute towards the plan. Yeah, We Racers One t-shirts. <laughs> we Racers One poster for 45 quid. So, you know, 50 bucks for a poster. Uh, like, they're more expensive a than A multi-billion displays. dollar business is selling merchandise to try to fund its diversity program. That, How are alarm that, bells not you know what? You know here? what this... No, no. No more. Th- that... You just said all that needed to be said, King. Vic just put in our chat, McLaren are selling a We Racers 1 face mask for 35 quid. 35 quid for a fucking face mask. What are we doing here? Is it made of actual papayas? It still wouldn't be worth 35 quid. Like, like what I, are we doing I here? Res- I would respect them if they were selling We Races 1 merchandise. And it wasn't going to the We Races 1 charity. It was going to a different charity outside of Formula 1. That I would be fine with. But it's money going to their own diversity program. It's like you're giving your money back to them. It's, it would be no different than buying a normal Ferrari t-shirt off the F1 store. Like, yep. we need some transparency on what this plan is actually going to involve and where the money is actually going. Like, Colin Kaepernick pledged a million bucks of his own money towards plans to improve the, the lives of black people and to try and eliminate police brutality. He was transparent with every charity that he was donating money towards, what their plans were, and what other celebrities were contributing towards that plan. It was all transparent. It all came off his Twitter account, and we could all see it with our own eyes. Like, 
It's not hard. He's an individual. He's an individual who's been technically unemployed from his profession for years now. This sport has got... Like, I'm glad the band-aid's been torn off because it just exposes just how fucking far this sport has to go. It is so far off base. And I, I thought they were getting somewhere with Re-Racers 1, but it's one step forward, five steps back. Don't get the drivers involved anymore. How about you message the drivers and say, look, how about you all put 40 grand in a pot between all of you right now, maybe 50,000 each, and make it a group £1 million donation towards Re-Racers 1. That would be something. But at this point, stop these insincere celebrations. They don't work. Honestly, I, I, I think the the Jordan brand had it right with their massive donation, which was actually an entire year of Michael Jordan's pay, which a hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a hundred million. That man's got fuck you money. Jesus. Yeah, um, he does. <laughs> that's what happens when they're the goat. <laughs> yeah, not bad shoes either, um, but uh, decent shoes. But, like uh, the 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 fact that like. Formula One so far has only publicly announced that they only have a hundredth of that is ridiculous. They're, they're selling they're selling the image of activism. They've just made it an extension of their brand. We have no evidence of where this money is going and and and, and what they're doing with it. And unfortunately, the drivers have now been the brunt and the focal forefront of this. And the drivers aren't here for this. Like, oh oh. Question from the chat: uh, How much did Bernie sell sell F one to Liberty for? Four and a half billion dollars. Yeah, with a B. With a B. Yeah, four and a half billion. And they and and and, and Chase has pledged what zero point two five percent of that towards this diversity program. A, a drop in the bucket. Yeah. So a drop in so the bucket. In, in the grand scheme of things, F one is four times larger than Jordan Brand. Uh... <laughs> And have done a and percentage they, of a percentage of what they did. No, they make two billion a year, roughly, on on, on when 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 the balance sheets are all said and done. We were talking about this back in 2014 when we were talking about ways of readdressing the team balance. Um, yeah, you know, they they make about two billion a year in terms of revenue. They could have they could afford to drop Jordan's salary into this, and it would not hurt them at all. Um, but they just choose not to. And they would rather have us do it for them. For them. <laughs> we, like, it's, it's like when Jeff Bezos asked us to donate towards saving the Amazon rainforest. The richest man on earth. The man that's, the man that's, that's that through a global pandemic has made $13 billion. Wants us to do the like, work for him. <sighs> like I, I, I think it, part of it comes down to just sheer ignorance. They, it, it, it feels like, if, if you're being real optimistic here, they don't know how much they should be spending on this. Which, again, we just pointed out, just compare yourself to other companies that are doing the same I'm thing. Say, it's out there. You can yeah. just look, you can look across, you can go on Twitter, search the general term, and you will find another company, another organization, putting more of a percentage into this than you are. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy. Uh, it is ridiculous. This sport is so, f- so far away from where it needs to be on this. And like I said, anything they're doing right now is disingenuous. 
Stop using the fucking drivers. Half of them literally do not care about this. My heart goes out to Lewis because I know how hard Lewis is working behind the scenes. I know people that know Lewis on a personal level about how hard he's working to try and figure this out. We saw it last week when he had to call Grosjean up for 45 minutes to say, hey, maybe more than maybe doing the kneel down just once was a bad look. And then what happens? Like, Grosjean admitted he was speaking for the drivers that weren't prepared to kneel. What? Like, I... <laughs> I yeah, like... I, th- I talked about it when we were all watching the race together. That it, it's clear Lewis knows he's going to break all the records in the F1 history books. Yeah. He, he sees this as his legacy. He wants to leave the sport better than he found it. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Right. And... He's, uh, he's wanted to do this for years, and he's finally found the right platform. And I think, unfortunately, the murder of George Floyd's and Rihanna Taylor has, has inspired him to really use his platform. I think he's woken up and realized, wait, I'm Lewis Hamilton. I can do something about this. Let me attack this directly. And that's exactly what he's doing right now. And unfortunately, I think the only man that I think is truly anywhere near on the same page as him is Sebastian Vettel. The only other man that's even even had the decency to say Black Lives Matter in an F1 paddock because he had it on his helmet. Like, that's how far like, off the rest of this field is. Like, it's become very disheartening and disappointing to see that seemingly out of most of the drivers. Like, obviously, a lot of the younger drivers do look up and respect Lewis. Oh, but yeah. out of the people who've been in Formula 1 the same amount of time as he has, the only people well the only person that actually sees him as a colleague is sebastian vettel and that's sad it's very sad and i'm gonna miss those two when they're in this sport because sebastian has done a lot more behind the scenes than i think people realize um when Ham- when hamilton talked about the conversation with grosjean he also mentioned that the, the one that pushed him on to keep doing this was sebastian vettel the only other man that had Black Lives Matter on his helmet the first race they came back was Sebastian Vettel. The, the the guy that came up with the idea of taking the knee in the first place before the race had started was Sebastian Vettel. And I, I think we should praise Sebastian because that that's the kind of people it takes to actually get stuff like this done. We need white like people. The one yeah, yeah. person. The white people the to one... admit that this is a problem. <laughs> He is the one person who is ensuring that Lewis Hamilton, like we all fear, Lewis Hamilton, if not for Vettel, would be doing all of this work by his own damn self. And, and instead, there's, it, it's another example of the camaraderie between the two that Vettel, Vettel's standing in his corner, and it feels like Vettel's the only one who really behind the scenes is in his corner. you got to remember, he's also one off of the GTPA's board as well. He's one third of that of that leadership yeah. group. And and Vettel has been apparently texting Hamilton behind the scenes saying, look, we've got to keep doing this. We've got to keep pushing this. And he's spoken in many a press conference talking about how we can't just keep this within our own bubble. There's more going on in the world outside of our own bubble. And we have an opportunity to stand and make a message. And he's been one of the most vocal dudes about this since the sport came back six weeks ago. Um, and yeah, it's... it's as, as James points out, in, in Daniel Ricciardo, who, don't get me wrong, does not get a free pass in this because Ricciardo's had problematic behavior regarding this in the past himself. The fact he had yeah. to go out and admit and say that the younger drivers don't know what to do is alarming. 
especially given this is one of the most socially aware F1 grids we've ever seen. And well, I mean, in, in, in all fairness, they're 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 in their early twenties. They've the the gap in how much media spotlight there is from just Formula Two to Formula One is huge. Yeah, that they've never had to deal with anything like this in their lives. Right, and it, it's it's pretty much they're they're being coached through this by the people around them. Yeah, and again, we get we cycle back to the issue at hand here. The people around them are largely white and don't know what's going on. Yeah. It's, I said it before, and I will say it again. Lewis should never have to fight this fight alone. We need white people on the same page. Because the black people that have been speaking out about these issues have been doing so for literally hundreds of years. It's yeah. We need white people on the same page, or we are never going to get anywhere. This is who this paddock is. I, I, I knew that this was going to be an issue back back long time ago. Back when when Baltimore was in the frame of mind of a lot of people, the United States Grand Prix was pretty pretty close to mm. the events that happened, mm. and there was just a murmur of, "Hey, Lewis actually might kneel at the United States Grand Prix." I remember and this. Yeah. Everyone went ballistic. Lewis never said anything about this, or even like publicly said that he was thinking about it. Just there was a rumor that this might happen, and social media went off, and it never happened. It went off, and he apparently, because years later, like two years later, he spoke out about it recently, where he said he was pressured into not doing it. He he was told by people, and I quote, "There will be consequences if you kneel." That's how far we've got to go. Where even the prospect of the kneel, which has now become the socially acceptable way of him, you know, or, or the socially acceptable accepted stance of anti-racism yep. on a global level, which let's not forget was not only three short years ago when Colin Kaepernick started this in 2017. Even that drew issues of controversy, and again. Hamilton was threatened into not into not taking the knee back in 2017. That should say a lot about the state of the sport and where it is on social issues. I'm not going to go onto it into it much further because this podcast already in an hour 50 nearly. But <laughs> yeah, we're we're not even like we just made it to halfway in our cellars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but this is something that we all are very strong and very passionately about. So yes, you're going to keep hearing about this, and I don't care if you don't like it. Um, but we have to do better. And unfortunately, I say this enough to say the white people within Formula One are going to have to do better. And on a personal level. Like I'm glad that the piece I put, I the piece that I wrote about it has gotten the traction it's gotten, because apparently the boys upstairs are listening. So listen good. Shut up. Listen to black people on these matters. Get black people in the room. Get them to get them to talk about the issues within this sport. Listen to them. Be sincere. And then and then. Use your time, money, and resources to do this right. Because what you're doing now is you're doing this wrong. You've made the drivers the vocal point, and the drivers are not on the same page. Forget about it. It's not happening. It's insincere. Do some research. Survey your fans. 
Like, honestly, I swear, since since this has started, we've seen Chase carry once at the beginning. We haven't seen him since. Right. I can't imagine why. <laughs> Do some damn research. Survey your fans. Ask them how they feel about this. What do you want to see the sport do? Talk to your fans. Talk to your black fans. Talk to your fans from ethnic minorities. It shouldn't even have to come to that. But the fact of the matter is, is that we are here. We've been out here. We've been journalists in this space for years. And it's taken a global mass protest for this sport to even semi-listen to get to this point. It shouldn't have to come down for that to make the sport a more diverse more reflective of modern society world. It's as simple as that. We'll talk about Formula 2 and Formula 3 after this. It's fucking sport, man. Here's the news, and we made an executive decision in between takes that we're going to bundle everything else into this one segment because we're already an hour 50 in, and we cannot make a short podcast to save our friggin' lives. Okay. Oh, man, Trey, t- tell me the first news item that we're going to get through extremely quickly. COVID. Oh, Indy 500 has no fans. Um, oh, God, here we go. Whoa! Tell, put yes. your hand up in the peanut gallery as to who didn't see this coming. Put your hand down no, at the back. No, put your hand down. <sighs> nope. No, so, no takers here. Yes, if you if you haven't heard the news, IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has announced that this year's running of the Indianapolis 500 will take place without fans. Uh, that comes it after says. them postponing opening day of IndyCar pr- of Indianapolis 500 practice next week from Tuesday, straight up canceling Tuesday and starting it on Wednesday. Uh, this evolved quite a bit, because Roger Penske was originally hoping to have 50% of fans. Well, then it turned into 25. Well, then Marion County, Indiana had a corona case spike, and that's what led it to zero. Yes, Again, I- we can have fans at sporting events when you use direct and electoral action to vote out the people who made this possible to begin with and wear your mask. In the wake of, well, just before this took place, uh, IU Health... Uh, Healthcare service in Indiana, you know, associated with IU, Indiana University, pretty much said openly that, hey, this race can't take place. Just simply, just full stop, race can't take place. Uh, That that was their recommendation to IndyCar. Uh, Then IndyCar said we sent the like our whole protocol to to IU Health, and they didn't say anything back. And again, what IU Health said, like. Nothing the Speedway can do can make this event safe, not only for the people who attend the race, but all the residents in central Indiana. And it, for some reason, the, the Speedway didn't get this through their heads, thought like, hey, we don't need IU Health. Their recommendation is just a recommendation. We can do what we want. Uh, a lot of people attacked IU Health for doing this, for not, quote-unquote, cooperating with the Speedway despite making their recommendation clear that there was nothing the Speedway could do to make this safe and then it looked like the government got involved. Yeah, because uh, for all of Roger Penske's many powers, and oh boy, he has many, 
uh, he can't just do whatever he wants in the context of... uh, He would have been the only person that would be powerful enough to put fans in the stands anyway, and he tried. Oh boy, did he try. You can bet your bottom dollar if anyone could have made this work, it would be the captain. And he just couldn't. Yeah, even up until a couple of days ago, he was still trying to get 25% of fans through the door. For context, that's 87,500 people. That'll pack an NFL stadium. It, it would be it yeah. would be the, oh, the size it, it, of, uh, it would be the largest mass gathering in the world since COVID was declared a pandemic. Even spreading that out across IMS, which is a big ass track with a whole lot of seating, that is still fundamentally unsafe. Impossible. And it, it it's it, it's been heavily implied uh, due to their rec- due to going against their recommendation. Uh, the the landmark hospital of the IU Health System and the official hospital of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Methodist Hospital mm. is rumored to have pulled their support of the race which is one of the reasons why the race wow. couldn't take place uh, because again that's medical center that anyone heard at the track is sent to if they won't take anyone from the track you no, can't have a race. Don't race yeah because we shouldn't have to explain the dangers of running 230 mile per hour carbon fiber missiles Around a two and a half mile track for five hundred miles. Yeah. If it wasn't if it wasn't for that hospital, many of the drivers in the field for this year's race would probably wouldn't be with us right now. They'd be dead. Yeah. Yeah. Like without a doubt. Methodist Hospital is the is the one place you never want to hear about in an Indy five hundred <laughs> race report. Never. Never. That's the one yeah. word you, you don't want to read. And to move on, before we move on, we have to quote Zoe here in the chat who said, and I quote, Wear masks, not bras. Free the titty, protect the city. Moving on. Oh my god! <laughs> Thank you, Zoe we Hamilton, ladies you, Zoe. and gentlemen. Um, you love to see it. Well, we have no <clears throat> choice but to stand. Yeah, we stand. What a queen. Um, uh, um, tw- tw- Mark Marquez. Mark Marquez is out of the Bruno Grand Prix. Um, yeah. Um, turns out he had to have another operation on his right arm uh, this past uh. Tuesday. Um, turns out that he'd actually bent the titanium plate that was in his arm that was put in during the Andalusia Grand Prix the week prior. Um, as Sasha points out in the chat, turns out breaking your arm isn't good. Who'd have thought it? Um, oh man, I just imagine Mark being say, hey, doctors, I broke my arm and you gave me a temporary arm so you could you know, fix my arms, but I broke that too. Sorry. Um, yeah, this is not uncommon. Brad Binder did this a couple of years ago when he was in Moto2 where he damaged his arm, had a plate put in, crashed on it, and then bent the plate. I, I, I think you see the running thing here that maybe it's common for a not good reason. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, guys are pushing it too early, and of course there's been much more mass debates uh, whoa, I have, have, have to word that. See what I did there? Um, massive debates about, uh, you know, how where do you draw the line? We talked about this a lot in episode 250. If you want to find it on YouTube, go out of your way to see it. Um, you know, and try to keep your hand, try not to put your hand in your pants while you watch, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, Marquez. Jesus. <laughs> 
Marquez. <laughs> Marquez is out of Bruno. He's apparently, uh, apparently the rumours are in his camp that he will not race in the month of August period, which would also rule him out of the two races in Austria um, at the Red Bull Ring later on in later on in the month. Which, if it wasn't already confirmation already, we will have a new MotoGP champion this season. There is no way in hell Mark Marquez is winning this year's championship now. So. Uh, Place your, place your bets, L. <laughs> yeah, pretty much if he returns in September, like, just two races in September, he'll be mathematically eliminated from the championship. Right. Yeah, and honestly... Worth it. Worth it. If, if I'm Honda, I'm gonna put this quite clearly to Marquez that you're not coming back until the arm is 100%. Yeah. Not, you can ride on they it. They have nothing to race for. Not, oh, well, I, it doesn't hurt. Not 90%, not 95%. He should not come back until it is healed. Yeah, sim- because the, er- yeah. the the earlier he comes back, the the more he shortens his career. Right. Like, yeah. just tell Marquez, sit this out. You ha- we, like As a team, with their lead rider now being Stefan friggin' Bradle that is filling in for him this weekend at <laughs> Bruno, they have nothing to race for. Like... They have nothing to race for. Yeah, constructors, the constructors, teams, and riders championships gone, are dead and gone. Gone. Off the table. Forget about it. Don't bother. There is no reason to rush Mark Marquez back whatsoever. It's over. So, you know what? Don't bring him back on the bike until they're 100% ready to go. Maybe in September. If his arm is 100%, by all means, run him. Get some late season wins and keep your name in, and keep your name out and sell some merchandise. But fuck it. They're not winning the championship this year. Um, so, yeah, forget about it, basically. Um, you know. So, yeah, place your bets. Fabio Quattararo just became the title favourite. Have fun with that. Um, so, yeah, as mentioned, Stefan Brado will fill in this weekend for the, at the Czech Grand Prix at Bruno and probably going forward unless they call in some sort of massive oh, super yeah. sub. Maybe Alvaro Bautista, but I wouldn't bet on it given he's actually doing all right in World Superbikes. Right, um, Cam, talk to us about IMSA real quick. Uh, sure. Let me put on my uh, my scuba gear. Mm-hmm. Let me get my oxygen tank real quick. Thought swimming. But look at the weather report. It says Park. it's supposed to be dry. About that. <sighs> About that. We had a race that quickly went underwater at Road America. <laughs> Acura Team Penske won with Elio Castro Neves having a drive so spectacular that it just put him on the market. I, you know, I fear. I fear we should. Uh, we should expand on this a little bit. Um, they made a huge Hail Mary BOP change before this race in DPI. Made the Acuras and Mazdas pretty equal. Left the Cadillacs out in the dry despite a power buff. Uh, good job, assholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were fucking nowhere for most of this race. Um, Dane Cameron, running second, decides, uh, decides, you know what? I don't want my left rear tire to have air anymore. Chops in front of Harry Tinknell. Destroys his own race. That car, it, I have no faith in them holding this, uh, defending this championship. Nah. They are, they've been tripping over their own dicks all year. <laughs> Elio Castroneves. My goodness. Ricky Taylor put it on pole. Elio Castroneves had like three different Scotty nominees. Just slicing and dicing his way through the field. And then he was just like, Roger, I, I want to come back to IndyCar full time. I'm sorry. Yeah. Had uh, had a especially great move. Splitting the Mazdas, the 55 on hot tires, 
trying to pass him, the 77 having just come out of the pits, cut between both of them and still got the car stopped and got back to the lead. Dude. Chef's kiss. Great moves through traffic. I haven't seen him drive like that since Indy 2017. Where do you think he's heading in 2021? Because it's not going to be with Penske. Yeah. um, He wants a full-time ride, of course. Accurate Team Penske, no longer a thing for next year. Yeah, and that means probably he wants a full-time ride, which means he's not going to get into Penske. You realize that Elio and Penske have been together for 20 years? Yeah. This will they have be... a longer partnership than freaking Dixon and Ganassi. Yeah, he this year will be his last Indy 500 with Penske, as far as we know. Bruh! Maybe the last appearance of the Yellow Submarine for the foreseeable future. No! All my homies love the Yellow Submarine. Uh-huh. Um, he said he wants either something full-time in, in IMSA or full-time in IndyCar. If, I've, if I'm Ed Carpenter, right? I'm firing up my phone. That's right. <laughs> Why not? It's like, hey guys, last year Hulkenberg said no, but I think Elio's gonna say yes. It's really the only other team that's out there that would, one, take a risk on giving a driver in his mid to late 40s a full-time ride at this stage and could actually be competitive enough to get Elio in with a shot of a prayer of a chance of maybe possibly winning his fourth Indy 500. With how good, uh, with how good Ed Carpenter Racing's been around the Speedway, and I mean Elio full time in IndyCar, it's not like the last couple of years where he was kind of coming in blind. Whew. I like it. I like it a lot. I like like it. it. Um, other classes in IMSA, GTLM, um, pain, pain is all I feel. Porsche lost. Porsche had this race under wraps, and oh. They did the they did the Warriors blowing the three one lead thing and Corvette won. Yeah, Corvette won too. Not all bad in my camp. The nine twelve spun out of the lead in very fast fashion when the rain came down, and when the rain came down, it was that Malaysia 09 rain. Do 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 do. So bad they had to red flag the race. They had to reset the timer on the clock to a half an hour left. They had to rename and... the track to Sea Lane America. <laughs> Very good. LMP2, um, not much Non-factor. to note other than the 18 car spinning like every five laps, it felt like. GT, GTD was all Lexus train. Oh, uh, yeah, the Lexus train was strong once again. Uh, they have just been beating them down in GTD this year. You'll love this, uh, you'll love this, uh, uh, Dre. It's another win for the flat cap. Hey! Townsend Bell and Frankie Montecalvo. Nice! But mostly Townsend Bell. Um, King, how about those support races in F2 and F3? Oh my god. How about our new favorite Russian son, Nikita Mazepin? Whoa! Whoa, wait a minute! Someone get the wide Putin music. (laughs) Oh, How man. dare you make such a claim? Nikita Mazepin drove the race of his life, and it felt like a wet blanket because he's not like one of the. Because he's always seen as a driver who is coasting off of daddy's money. Ooh, and he's having a good year. Yeah, good year. Uh, he pretty much controlled the feature race. No one was going to touch him. 
Uh, though some people were bold enough to try an alternate strategy like Prima did with Robert Swartzman, but Swartzman didn't have the pace for a win. Prima were off this weekend. But uh, uh, Uni Virtuoso with Guangzhou and uh, Kalamailat were on it. And uh, Zhou made the, the alternate strategy work, and he ended up getting second out of it. Uh, Dude, how about Yuki Tsunoda's last lap pass at, at the end at, through, <laughs> through, at the end of Hangar Straight to take third place in the feature, though? Yes, that was That race was dry. sick. Uh, his, his, I know we're kind of crunched for time, but this race was genuinely, like, 20 times better than the F1 20 race. times better. It yeah. uh, wasn't Easy. a good day for, for Sonoda's teammate, uh, Jean Daravala. Oh, my lord. Uh... So, uh, a clip on social media made the rounds of, uh, of Darval axing his engineer for a race update, and uh, the engineer didn't give the most polite of responses. Go on. Just, just blanking drive faster. Yep. Yep, that was his race update. <laughs> There's no more concise and effective advice than just fucking drive fast. Well, welcome to Carlin and the Red Bull Junior team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, though so, I don't like, know. If- y- Yuki keeps being very—he's very impressive so far. I'm just like, don't get called up to the Red Bull teams. Though I think it says it all when Zeppelin stepped out of the car and a celebration was a knockout punch. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, that's clever. Which, which, um, not even the official account couldn't even hesitate to make a subtle reference to an incident with Calamilot early in the Zephyr's career. Oh yeah, uh, who got a fifth place finish out of this? Yep. Uh, just behind Christian Lundgaard in fourth. Uh, the sprint continued the theme of Renault Junior drivers sna- almost snatching victories on alternate strategies and problematic Christian people looked- winning the race. So Dan Tickton won. <laughs> Yay! Uh, Dan Tickton won. Moving on. Christian Lungard was second, and Louis Delatraz was third. You know third. how pissed off I was when, like, guys from Veloce were tweeting me saying that I still hold a grudge against Tickton? And I'm just like, piss off, man. Hey, uh, you know that thing that Pagano did in the indie virtual race that people got really mad about? Yeah. Yeah, Tickton did that in real life. That's not <laughs> something that people are just gonna... Get no, over. the funniest quote was what does it ticked him after the race said like, "Oh, this, this race proves I've 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 pr- I've proven the doubts is wrong," and I'm like, "No, Dan." Two 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 Dude. races ago, you're like, "I I don't have any grip. I don't know what to do." And well, also, a direct address, direct address to Dan ticked him. No one ever doubted your ability. That was never the right. Problem. This did right. What this what this answered the qu- the question that was answered was yes, you can win at the Formula Two level. Of course you can, <laughs> my man. I I want to like you and see you have personal growth, but you're not really doing a good job at this. Rio Harrianto won sprint races. Who cares? Like honestly, when your first comment after you take a win after being booted out of multiple junior programs for being a bit of a twat, is to then start throwing shade at those who kicked you out. What does that say? That you never changed. That you never changed and you just, you're not mature enough for this. Mad insecurity. Um, just briefly looking at the points, Robert Schwartzman have a double donut day, but he still leads by eight points. (laughs) 
87 to Sullivan three, Calamila in second, Christian Lundgaard now up to third on a very nice points total. Mm. Nikita Mazepin mm-hmm. all the way in fourth, Dan Tickton fifth in points, and if you're looking for Mick Schumacher, he is down in ninth place uh, after a ninth and a fourteenth on the weekend. Yeah, Prima Prima was not great. Um, quick note: Mick Schumacher had the start of the gods in the first race. <laughs> oh yeah. We thought he would. We thought he was going to win it for a while, and then we realized, oh, Prima just isn't that fast. Yeah, Prima didn't even win an F three, believe it or not. But they did come a bit closer. Liam Lawson and Oscar Piastri had a good fight. Uh, they finished first and second ahead of America's own Logan Sargent, uh, clearly making the most noise of any American prospect in the F two F three ladder at Silverstone since. Oh, boy, my notes have disappeared for some reason. Uh, But how about that sprint race? How about that sprint race, Kane, with first-time winner Alexander Smoliar had all the potential in Hungary, but now it's finally come together. Right? Psych. Uh, This is a, uh, sorry, we're just getting this in. Um, Weaving penalty. Oh. Weaving penalty, which means for the second consecutive weekend... David Beckman inherits a sprint race. Oh, man. Typical. Is he ever going to win a race on the road? Typical (laughs) typical Russian strategy. Win it across the line and then have Wada swagging the race official strip it from you afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Christ, King. Oh, my my goodness. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, it's like honestly somewhere in the middle of his bedroom david david beckman has a bed a genie lamp and one wish left um (laughs) i'm just glad that liam lawson's car was not as combustible as it was in hungary thank god yeah Beck, after the penalty, Beckman wins. Uh, Clement Novak, member of the last names who sound like Pharmaceutical Products Hall of Fame, in second. And Alex Peroni with his second podium in his comeback tour. He is in the top ten in points. Uh, but it's still Oscar Piastri on top with 94 points. He leads Logan Sargent by 17 points RJ, RJ. in second place. But how's Piastri's relationship with his DRS wing going? Uh, not great. Uh. Not great as it turns out. Uh, David Beckman in third, Zesty Frederick Vesti in fourth, and Liam Lawson in fifth. Um, World Superbikes certainly happen, and, jo- and Scott Redding is pretty good. Yep. Again, like I've said it many a time before, Scott Redding is way better than his MotoGP career made out. He had the Hall of Fame of shit bikes when he was over there. And I don't think it ever really demonstrated how good a rider he could be. I, I, if you want a better yardstick of that, ask him about the Moto 2 title. He probably should have won in 2013. Um, that was yanked out from underneath him at Phillip Island. But yeah, he actually won both feature races um, at, at Haref, um, and of the big return of World Superbikes. Won them both pretty comfortably in the end. Had to work a little bit harder in race one. Um, didn't get a move on Jonathan Ray till uh, towards the end of the race. 
say he and Jonathan Ray were just hitting each other with increasingly large chairs for about the first three quarters of that race. Yes. I did also enjoy the sequences of Chaz Davies, Loris Baz, and Top Rag Razgadioglu racing together, or I'd like to call it Chaz, Raz, and Baz in New York. Brilliant. Chaz, Raz, and Baz. Superb content. Yes. They, 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 Loris Baz was up there in the leading group in, in both featured races, drove very well for the uh, for the Tenkarte. Uh, satellite Yamaha team um, and yeah it was kind of weird as well because like Yamaha we've men- you've mentioned their MotoGP bikes blowing up they had two technical failures in both feature races uh, Vandermark went pop in race one and Toprak went pop in race two from top five positions Toprak was running third when his Yamaha blew up in race two Redding again winning that Yamaha. one comfortably Jonathan Ray split Yamaha's it. engine department straight up not having a good time in the year 2020 right and this heat, and this muggy Spanish heat. Indeed. And, uh, yeah. Um, turns out Jonathan Ray did split the pack. He won the Super Bowl race on uh, on Sunday morning. So it wasn't a perfect weekend for Scott Redding, but he now leads the World Superbike Championship. So, uh, yeah, Jonathan Ray might be in a bit of trouble. He only finished, only finished sixth in race two. Even- oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> Someone won 12 races in a row last year and lost a championship early. I don't want to hear it. On the other hand, though, Marco Melandri back. Hey! Ma- <laughs> Great comeback ride from Melandri. 19th to 8th in race Love 1. It. I mean, yeah. Woo. Uh, man's still got it, everybody. Uh, good ride from Marco Melandri. Good to see him back. Yeah, for what it's worth, I think the Ducati might be the best bike in the field on paper, and I don't think Redding will make the same mistakes Bautista did personally. But hey, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Having, it's going to depend and see, because last year the Ducati was truly untouchable, as was Bautista, and then they started chopping RPM out of it left, right, and center. Well, we'll see if Wolzibbox does the same with the Ducati going forward, but the problem is these races have been close for the most part so far. Yeah. So I don't oh, think they, yeah. g- they can't really argue that the bike has a an overwhelming advantage. No. So I think they might be a bit more reluctant to chop webs out of the Ducati because once they did that in the middle of last season, Ducati didn't win a race, didn't win a race again that year. Um so they've got to be a little bit careful because I think they went too far the other way last year and uh yeah, it, it crippled the season and Jonathan ran away with it. So they've got to be a little bit careful on that one as far as I'm concerned. But uh, hey, Chaz back on the podium, which is always nice to see because we like Chaz around here. Friend of the pod, Chaz Davies. Oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. Love we it. Like, we like Chaz around here. Any other any other news and notes that don't involve Alejandro getting the COVID? Oh. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's straight up not good. Um, Silverstone installed a new curb to help before, avoid tire damage. Yeah. Good luck with that. Big, uh, big ol' blame being thrown at Pirelli over the late race tire failures. It really wasn't their fault. Yeah. People Dude, were... is it 2013 all over again and I'm clinically depressed because of a bad breakup? Well, 2013, people like to blame on Pirelli. It was the team swapping tires side to side, trying to reduce tire squirt, which I'll explain quick. T- vortex spins off the tire, hurts diffuser performance, costs you downforce. Right. Well, well it's, 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 if the tire's under huge load and it's not designed to go in that direction of that load, the tire will fucking burst. And I, I think, just to quickly sum it up again, just like in 2013, 
right now, Pirelli gives the team parameters. Team, you know, ignores parameters. And then well, the teams pro- weren't ignoring the parameters. They are no longer allowed to ignore the parameters after... Uh, well, it, in terms of last weekend, uh, they knew the tires pretty much could only last... Well, the last, stint length. Yeah, they knew the tires uh, could only last yeah. 35 laps. After that, it was a big question mark. They went past 35 laps, and they found out what happened. Yeah, it was a mixture of various factors. It was the stint length, the fact that these tires are the 2019 tires. The 2020 tires... Well, those got vetoed before ever being put on a 2020 car. <laughs> now you understand why they were harder, guys. Because yeah. uh, when you up the downforce, it hurts the tires. And I think the biggest overarching thing was people were cutting the shit out of Chapel all weekend. Yeah, that was a, Con- that was a running Constantly thing. putting that, uh, that left front over the curb to the point where it kind of dug a valley out behind the curb and exposed the sharp edge of the curb. And it was slicing up the left fronts. What's that old saying again? Fuck around and find out. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we're out of here. Um, uh, <laughs> basically, you can find us one more time. Um, YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Um, personal handles at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at uh, C Buckley 917. You can find my latest powerful piece over at Motorsport101.com of our website. And if you'd like to back us financially on Patreon, you can. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport101. Um, again, five dollars gets you early access to all of our shows. Um, Ten dollars gets you in the supporters club of our Discord server, where you can listen to these shows live as they're being recorded on YouTube as well, and a bunch of other stuff as well, including this King mentioned earlier. Hey, you might get a say in how our new intro sounds. Mm, there's a plus. Um, thanks to everyone that's been listening. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell, uh, Ryan Eric King, and Cam Buckley. Until next week, we'll be back to talk about the 70th anniversary of the Formula One. Hooray. Sayonara. Stay safe, y'all. Bye. Tune in soon to the You Should Have Worn a Mask 500. Woo-hoo! I'm not you are the world champion! That was exciting.